Former President Donald Trump has arrived in New York where he's to surrender to authorities tomorrow an expected list of criminal charges. Today is Monday, the 3rd of April, and you're listening to WBUR's All Things Considered. Good afternoon, I'm Lisa Mullins. How news organizations, including NPR, plan to cover the Trump indictment coming up. Saudi Arabia and a few other countries announced a surprise cut in oil production, roiling crude markets. The move is expected to push gasoline prices higher. Also, NASA has signed astronauts to a mission to bring humans to lunar orbit for the first time in more than a half century. These stories, the numbers from Wall Street, and much more still to come. It's 401. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Amy Held. Former President Donald Trump has touched down in New York, where he is set to become the first U.S. president, current or former, to face criminal charges. Trump arrived a short time ago in a plane emblazoned with his name in gold letters. As NPR's Barbara Sprunt reports, he's been fundraising off of the indictment. A New York grand jury voted last week to indict Trump after hearing testimony and evidence related to hush money payments made to cover up an alleged affair. The twice impeached former president, who's again seeking the Republican nomination, is scheduled to appear before a judge Tuesday. The official indictment remains under seal until that time. House Republican leadership is supporting the former president. Speaker Kevin McCarthy has called the indictment an unprecedented abuse of power. Trump's campaign team has been fundraising off the indictment, telling supporters they raised $4 million in the 24 hours after the indictment was handed down and another million the following day. Barbara Spren, NPR News, Washington. Forecasters are watching thunderstorms in parts of Alabama, Florida, and Georgia with the potential to spin off tornadoes. And tomorrow night, strong tornadoes with damaging winds could hit a broad area from the plains into the Mississippi Valley. As states from Iowa to Delaware are working to recover from this weekend's deadly and damaging tornado outbreak. Florida's Senate today approved a bill to ban abortions at six weeks, nine weeks earlier than the ban already in place. To become law, the House must also approve it. Republican Governor Ron DeSantis has indicated he supports the measure. At the same time he's expected to enter the presidential race, the ban would align Florida more closely with other Republican-led states with abortion, abortion restrictions. Russia is holding the presidency of the U.N. Security Council this month. It's a rotating seat, and the U.S. is raising concerns. As NPR's Michelle Kellerman reports. Heading into the Security Council chambers as Russia took over for the month, U.S. Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield urged the Russians to behave, quote, professionally. But we also expect that they will use their seat uh, to spread disinformation and to promote their own agenda as it relates to Ukraine, and we will stand ready to call them out. Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, is expected to come to New York later this month to chair one of the meetings. Secretary of State Antony Blinken spoke with him over the weekend to discuss the fate of two jailed Americans, including a Wall Street Journal reporter. Michelle Kellerman, NPR News, the United Nations. The White House said today it is doing everything it can to free that reporter, Evan Gerskovich, arrested last week on espionage charges, as well as Paul Whelan, who has spent four years imprisoned in Russia on similar charges. This is NPR News.
This is 90.9 WBUR in Boston. I'm Lisa Mullins. Interstate 93 southbound through much of Boston will be closed to traffic tonight and tomorrow night. The State Department of Transportation will close the stretch from Sullivan Square through the length of the O'Neill Tunnel. That closure will last each night from 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. It's taking place so crews can perform repair work in the tunnel. At this hour, the Boston City Council is holding a hearing on a proposal to ban the sale of pocket-sized liquor bottles in the city, known as NIPs. Those pushing the ban say the bottles are wasteful and contribute to public intoxication. The council is expected to hear from officials in Newton and Chelsea, where the mini bottles are already banned. And former Boston Mayor Marty Walsh will speak at Suffolk University's graduation. The school made the announcement today. Walsh stepped down as President Joe Biden's labor secretary recently. He is now head of the National Hockey League Players Association. Suffolk president, Suffolk's president says Walsh is an inspiring example for the graduating class. Commencement for Suffolk will take place May 21st. This is WBUR. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Procter & Gamble, maker of Align Probiotic a daily supplement to support digestive health containing a probiotic strain developed by gastroenterologists with 20 years of research. More at AlignProbiotics.com. In the forecast, a beautiful day today, but we're in for clouds tonight. More clouds tomorrow, highs near 60, and then April showers and clouds for Wednesday. 54 degrees now in Boston at 406. We are funded by you, our listeners, and by Volante Farms in Needham, celebrating spring with their Crescent Ridge ice cream stand, now open year-round. Seasonal hours at volantefarms.com. This is WBUR. All Things Considered starts up in just about three minutes. In that time, we just have a reminder for you that we really need you, and we need you right now to help us in the spring fund drive. We're nearing the end of the fund drive. We are hoping you will take this opportunity right now to make your pledge of support for the program that you count on, whether it be Radio Boston, All Things Considered, here and now, whatever it is, please pledge your support for it right now. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. I'm Lisa Mullins, and here with an even better reason for you to pledge is Radio Boston host Tiziana Deering. Hey, Lisa, and yeah, we know you rely on all of them, all day parts for WBUR, and so we are offering you a dollar-for-dollar dollar match. This is for any gift of any amount. You give $10, it becomes 20. You give $20 a month, it becomes $40 a month for a year. You give $1,000, it becomes $2,000. For the next hour, a dollar for dollar match, 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. And here's how that works. Some generous listeners give their contributions to match yours when you give a tax-deductible gift right now. And we all do more for WBUR. You know this when we all put our money together. That's what's brought you what you hear every day on WBUR right now, what you're about to hear in just about one minute. So get in on this one-for-one match at WBUR.org, or you can also call 1-800-909-9287. This kind of radio station does not happen without you. And here's the thing. If you give $10 a month, it not only becomes $20 a month, but you also get a gorgeous Athletic Heather Color WBUR sweatshirt. That's until 7 o'clock, a gift of $10 a month gets doubled and gets you the sweatshirt. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. You can still call as we go to All Things Considered. The point is make your pledge of support known to 
WBUR 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Thank you. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the Museum of Science, featuring Arctic Adventure, an immersive Arctic world exploration with technology as your guide. Tickets at MOS.org. This is All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Adrian Florido in Culver City, California. And I'm Mary Louise Kelly in Washington. Saudi Arabia had a big surprise for the world on Sunday. Along with a few other countries, it revealed it is cutting oil production. That is pushing prices up sharply. NPR's Camila Domanowski is here to explain why this is happening and what it may mean for all of us. Hey, Camila. Hi, Mary Lee. All right. So when I say they are um, cutting prices, how are cutting production? How big? How big are the cuts? Yeah, they're they're substantial. Saudi Arabia is the biggest player here, as usual. They're cutting uh, half a million barrels per day. You've got the UAE, Iraq, a few other countries also making cuts. The sum total is more than a million barrels per day, and that's a million barrels per day less out of nowhere, basically. These are OPEC Plus members, but this was not a deal negotiated out of an OPEC Plus meeting that people saw coming. It was just sort of boom on a Sunday, you know? Hmm. And to put these numbers into context, I asked Jorge Leon of Rystad Energy. You know, how big of a deal is this? Here's what he said. It was a massive surprise to everybody in, in the market. Um, if you think about it, this is 2% of global supply that is going to be taken off the market. And this is this is really, really significant. Really, really significant. Two reallys there. Mm-hmm. Uh, these cuts are going to kick in starting in May, last all year, but prices have already jumped. They went up five bucks overnight, which is a lot. Yeah. Um, Camila, back to that first question I laid out at the beginning. Why? Why is yeah, this happening? Sorry. <laughs> Why? Well, whenever they cut production in com- countries like this, oil prices go up, right? And oil prices went down last month because of all the banking turmoil. So this was a move that pushed them back up. Now, Saudi Arabia consistently denies that it is trying to control prices. But if you look at what happened in oil markets last month, the price is all that changed. It's not like we were using a bunch less oil or making a lot more of it. The price went down. And now this cut is pushing them back up. A practical question, since you bring up prices, um, when we go to fill up our cars, what might this mean for gas prices? Yeah, they're almost certainly going to go up. It's hard to predict exactly how much they'll go up. Um, Gas prices, everyone remembers, they were very high and they had come back down. So now the average is around 350. We'll, We'll see what happens. I'll also note it's not just the obvious impact on prices at the pump, because oil is everywhere in the global economy. It's how we move the vast majority of stuff that we move. When prices go up for oil, it drives up all kinds of prices. And I should say, this is a bit of a dangerous game for Saudi Arabia, because if prices go up too much, people will cut back on driving, on buying, on everything. In the long term, maybe people buy electric vehicles faster than they would otherwise. So it's possible for prices to get too high, even for Saudi Arabia. And, you know, they could surprise us again and reverse course. This cut came out of nowhere. It could go away as quickly. Yeah. Um, Speak to the politics for a second, because U.S.-Saudi relations Mm -hmm. were already tense. What might this mean for that relationship? Yeah. If you look at the recent history here, high gasoline prices are always a political concern in the U.S. That's understating it a bit. Uh, President Biden went to Saudi Arabia last summer. He was asking for more oil production, came back very publicly empty handed. Meanwhile, Saudi Arabia and China are growing closer 
diplomatically, economically, specifically in terms of oil. So that's all context for these cuts coming, which we have in fact heard from the White House uh, on these cuts. The administration's quote was that it did not consider these cuts to be advisable. Uh, I will note that, you know, the United States is the world's biggest consumer of oil in the world. So we feel these, we feel increases in oil prices as consumers. But there are some American companies for whom this is a big boost to the bottom line because the U.S. is also the biggest oil producer in mm -hmm. the world. And high, higher oil prices, like the kind that these cuts promote, they help oil companies' bottom line. Thank you, Camila. Thank you. And Piers Camila Domanowski. If you've ever signed a ballot petition for a candidate or an issue, there's a chance you talk to someone who was hired to get your signature. Recently, though, some notable campaigns have been derailed because paid canvassers turned in thousands of invalid signatures. Now, some states are hoping to crack down on bad practices. Here's NPR's Ashley Lopez. There was this big election scandal in Michigan last year that threw the state's Republican gubernatorial primary into a bit of chaos. Now to the shakeup in the race for governor. Five Republican candidates now officially thrown off the ballot. That's half the field. All these candidates were disqualified because they submitted thousands of invalid signatures among the 15,000 they needed to run for office. A state board later said the problem was the people hired to collect the signatures. Election staffers say names were spelled wrong the information for dead voters was used. They also say obvious handwriting characteristics were repeated throughout some sheets. Officials found evidence of round tabling. This is when individual canvassers pass around a sheet and each person signs a line so it looks like a bunch of different voters signed them. And this didn't just affect candidates. Jamie Rowe, a Republican strategist, tried to get a measure on the Michigan ballot to tighten voting rules. I think it's wise to put in place systems and rules that mitigate the ability to commit fraud. Ironically, his proposal was unable to get before voters because of fraud. He suspected issues with the signatures collected by paid canvassers. Particularly after stuff went down with the uh, candidates for governor, I mean, we redoubled our efforts to verify. And we found somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 or 60,000 signatures that we believe were invalid. Rose says it was frustrating his measure didn't get on the ballot, especially because it was so expensive to get those signatures. He says in the past a signature from a paid collector would cost him a few bucks, but that's changed, and he says it's encouraging fraud. The thing is, when it's 2 or $3 per signature, you're probably unlikely to engage in that kind of activity. When it's $15 a signature, there is a high financial motivation to commit fraud. People who have been in this industry say the spike in costs has been staggering. Ted Blasak has a company that's helped put a measure on the ballot in 18 different states. Blasak says these days it's not uncommon for a single signature to cost up to $20 or $30. And that's a direct reflection of much higher costs being paid to the individual canvasser as their labor is more in demand. Blasek says these are always hard jobs to fill, but it's been particularly hard to fill them since the pandemic and low unemployment in recent years. This is why he paid about $50 an hour to workers in his last campaign. It's often discouraging work, so people need to be well compensated to do 
challenging work in today's economy. He says this decision to pay workers per hour instead of per signature is also key to preventing fraud. That's a point that's largely echoed by Tammy Patrick with the Election Center, which is the National Association of Election Officials. When individuals are compensated by signature, that incentivizes getting signatures to the degree that the voter maybe um, doesn't understand what they're signing or they're misrepresenting what's being signed or they're encouraging people to sign even if they're not eligible. Election officials say it takes a lot of time and resources to verify ballot signatures. That's why states like Colorado and California now want to create new regulations for paid canvassers. The vast majority of signature collectors and petition companies do a good job. Um, But there are some bad actors. That's Colorado's elections chief, Secretary of State Jenna Griswold. She says the state's laws around this practice could be tightened. She wants to start by making it easier to crack down on those bad actors. Right now, you can only hold a petition entity liable if they either authorized or knowingly permitted the violation in question. We're changing that standard to just negligence. Griswold says she wants stiffer penalties for workers who submit fraudulent signatures, as well as the companies they work for. But Tammy Patrick of the Election Center says there has to be a balance. She says states should be careful they aren't making it harder for community-led efforts to get on the ballot. I do think that the initiative process is an important one, and we need to make sure that it continues to be conducted in a way that reflects the will of the community and is done with both integrity and transparency. Patrick says ultimately the best way to ensure there is integrity in signature gathering is to have the bulk of the work done by volunteers who believe in the cause. Ashley Lopez, NPR News. This is 90.9 WBUR, a mixed finish on Wall Street. The Dow picked up about 1%. S&P rose nearly four-tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq lost ground. It fell nearly a quarter of a percent. Sunset is at 7.12 tonight, and that should be it for the sun for a while. Overcast skies overnight tonight, falling to the mid-40s. Could have a few showers tomorrow on the early side, followed by a plethora of clouds gray through the day, but milder up in the high 50s. Then for Wednesday, cloudy, windy, and cooler, sticking to the mid-40s. This is WBUR. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Direct Tire and Auto Service, a dealer alternative, your local mechanic and tire dealer, serving Newton, Watertown, and the surrounding communities, directtire.com. And the Harvard Art Museums, with From the Andes to the Caribbean, American art from the Spanish Empire, free on Sundays, harvardartmuseums.org. I'm Leila Faldin. We've learned that we can't take our democracy for granted. Journalism in the public interest, journalism that is the heart of WBUR, keeps democracy thriving. Member dollars give WBUR the time to pursue stories that can take months of investigation. These stories often reveal uncomfortable truths, truths that can lead to meaningful change. It all starts with member dollars. Not a member yet? Give today at WBUR.org. There's a really good reason to give today. In fact, Tisian Deering, there's a really good reason to give right now. There is a really good reason to give right now, and it is, actually there are two. It is first a dollar-for-dollar match. That is power for your dollar. (laughs) Think about all the things that you would like to get double of for the same amount of money, and you can do that simply by picking up the phone and calling. Plus, and there is a plus, if you give $10 a month, which will be 20 if you do it now, $10 a month, you also get a sweatshirt, a gorgeous, soft, fluffy, cozy 
gray WBUR sweatshirt. And all you have to do is pick up the phone and call 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. So once again, you can get the sweatshirt or not get the sweatshirt if you don't want. If you make a pledge right now, your pledge in whatever amount will be matched dollar for dollar. So this is a really important time, especially if you have never given to WBUR before. This is a great time to do it. You can take advantage of the uh, double uh, your pledge match and Excuse me. And you can also get that really fantastic and I have to say extremely comfortable sweatshirt. I have one of my own I got during our last fun drive and I wear it all the time. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. The sweatshirt, as Tiziana said, is yours for a contribution of $10 a month over the course of a year, $10 a month. Uh, But it's only good until 7 o'clock tonight and then the price goes up. So this is our gift to you with your pledge. And don't forget, your pledge will be matched. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Lisa, I forgive you for saying that's it for the sun for a while because I can wear my sweatshirt. And so if you're worried about the sun not coming out, now is a great time to pledge. Get a sweatshirt at $10 a month. Get your money doubled. Double the gift to WBUR. The number is 1-800-909-9287. The website is WBUR.org. It'll sure brighten our day and probably your day as well. Thank you so much. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Easy Cater, committed to helping companies from nonprofits to the Fortune 500 find food for meetings and team lunches, tax-exempt ordering and delivery nationwide at easycater.com. And from Indeed, committed to helping businesses attract, interview, and hire candidates. Businesses can invite candidates to apply then schedule and conduct virtual interviews all in one place. Indeed.com slash NPR. From NPR News, this is All Things Considered. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. And I'm Elsa Chang. Mike Selleck has a lot of experience administering the life-saving medication naloxone. His work involves helping people who are experiencing drug addiction, including addiction to opioids. And the most recent time he had to reverse an overdose was in his own neighborhood. Selleck was walking his dog when he saw someone lying in the grass across from his driveway. They were breathing very poorly and shallowly. I think a lot of people had already seen it, but just assumed the person was asleep or drunk or something. Uh, So if I hadn't had a lot of experience recognizing overdoses and reversing them over the years, I probably wouldn't have thought anything of it. Selleck dialed 911 as he ran into his house, just like he has every time he has reversed an overdose. Once inside his home, he grabbed Narcan. That's a nasal spray form of naloxone, which is used to rapidly reverse an opioid overdose. I sprayed one into one of his nostrils and watched his breathing. Uh, Luckily, this person was breathing poorly but on their own, so I didn't actually have to do rescue breathing. Selleck has been doing community outreach since 2010 to people who use drugs. Now he works for the National Harm Reduction Coalition. And he says overdose happens because opioids affect the part of your brain that controls breathing. People end up suffocating and dying from the lack of oxygen. You wait about two to three minutes before administering the second dose. So he was still out. I administered the second dose. The person woke up pretty much immediately. 
They were up a little confused and talking. And that was the moment when emergency responders arrived. They were able to talk to the person Selleck treated and took them to the hospital in an ambulance. I've called 911 before and had it take 45 minutes for rescue workers to show up. If you're not breathing for 45 minutes, you're dead. Which is why, he says, it's so important to get Narcan in the hands of bystanders. People like friends, siblings, parents, co-workers, roommates, anyone who is around people who use drugs. The CDC estimates that nearly half of overdose deaths in 2021 had potential bystanders, people who could have prevented a death if there was Narcan on hand. All of the evidence has shown that the people who respond first are not uniform first responders. They're people in the community. Now, first responders have had access to naloxone for decades. And in 2015, the FDA approved its use more widely in the form of Narcan as a prescription drug. And then... Just last week, the FDA approved Narcan for over-the-counter sales, something that advocates have been pushing for for years. That will make the drug more widely available than it ever has been before, which Selleck says is a great thing. Harm reduction is all about keeping people alive. If somebody overdoses and nobody responds, there's no chance for a tomorrow. There's no chance for better outcomes. And people have lost a loved one. We want people to survive. To hear more about the significance of the FDA's decision to make Narcan available for over-the-counter sales, we reached out to Nabarun Dasgupta. He's a senior scientist at the University of North Carolina and has been studying opioid overdose prevention and addiction treatment since 2002. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So... Narcan, the nasal spray form, it's really simple to use, right? Like almost anyone can learn very quickly how to administer it. Am I correct? Absolutely. It's a motion that most people have already done. You put something in your nose, you press the plunger, and it fires out the naloxone into your nose. There's really not very many ways to screw it up. Okay. That's very reassuring to hear. Well, with this latest development, we're hearing that the price of the nasal spray to the average consumer could land anywhere between, what, like $35 and $65. What do you think of that price? Like, do you think it might deter people from going out and buying it because it's still kind of expensive? What we know works in public health Mm -hmm. is if the price of the antidote is cheaper than the price of the dope. Right. If we're talking about $10 for a dose of fentanyl or heroin, then the price of the antidote needs to at least be on par with that and ideally much less. So we have a long way to go. Okay, that makes sense. But what if the price of over-the-counter Narcan never drops to $10? I think we really have to look at this as a broader naloxone market where having the first over-the-counter product is going to hopefully entice other pharmaceutical companies to come to the table with cheaper devices, cheaper nasal sprayers, cheaper nasal swabs, maybe something that dissolves inside the cheek. There's a lot of ways to deliver naloxone into the body that are going to be cheaper than this first product. Mm -hmm. So we should stay tuned. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then when it comes to actually physically procuring it, Do you get the sense that Narcan will be something that I could just grab off the shelf at the pharmacy? Or would I have to go up to someone and have a whole conversation with a pharmacy employee to get me the nasal spray and then maybe worry about being judged for requesting it? What do you think? That's a very real risk that the stigma that already exists within the healthcare system against people who use drugs is going to get perpetuated in the way that Narcan is available. It wouldn't surprise me to see it locked up behind the counter 
because of its price. It's also a fairly large box. And so pharmacy space is at a premium. And I would be surprised if pharmacies were able to have inventory of large amounts of this antidote. Mm. There's this amazing vision of having the nasal spray available at every gas station in the country, right? It sounds like such a good idea. But if you go into a gas station, you don't see any other products that are in the $40 to $50 range. So I'm skeptical that that's going to be where it goes. What I do think is going to happen is that vape shops and head shops are surprisingly ubiquitous in our country, and they do sell products in that price range. They also attract a clientele who may be at higher risk for overdose. So I think that is an unusual partner for public health in many ways, Mm -hmm. but the kind of innovation that can happen when something is over the counter and we can see all the new places that we can put this product to get it in the hands of people who really need it. Well, what about the effect of all of this on the supply of free naloxone? I mean, what I'm talking about is, you know, right now, a lot of community groups are able to provide this drug for free. And if a lot of the supply of this drug is now getting routed to pharmacies, do you think the supply of free naloxone will diminish? This is a real concern. Over the last decade and a half, we've had four national shortages of naloxone. Anytime you have a monopoly on a pharmaceutical product, it's a recipe for disaster. So to prevent that, what we have done in the last year is to shore up the supply chain for the free and low-cost generic liquid injectable naloxone, the formulation that a lot of our harm reduction programs are relying on. Okay. Well, I know that we've gone through several reservations about expanding availability of Narcan to pharmacies to be bought by just average consumers. Do you expect, despite these reservations, that making naloxone way more widely available as this over-the-counter nasal spray is going to make a big difference ultimately in lives saved? That's our hope, right? I mean, we're at a sad point in our country's history where we need the antidote to be available this widely. A lot of our prevention, a lot of our policy that should have prevented this kind of overdose death volume hasn't worked. It's time for new solutions. We need new ideas, and we need to make these tools available. That is Nabarun Desgupta, a senior scientist at the University of North Carolina. Thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure. Take care. This is NPR News. We are funded by you, our listeners, and by Lauren Holleran with Gibson Sotheby's International Realty in Cambridge, real estate brokerage that is grounded in data and committed to thoughtful design, laurenholleran.com. And the ICA with Simone Lee, a history-making exhibition makes its U.S. debut, opens April 6th, icaboston.org. Live from NPR News in Culver City, California, I'm Dwayne Brown. One day before his arraignment on criminal charges, former President Donald Trump arrived in New York City this afternoon. The criminal indictment handed down late last week stems from Trump's alleged role in hush money payments made to an adult film star during the 2016 presidential campaign. As NPR's Jasmine Garst tells us, the exact charges are expected to be unsealed during tomorrow's arraignment. 
Mr. Trump will be fingerprinted, uh, possibly have his photo taken. This is a former president. Uh, we've never seen something like this before. He has a Secret Service detail. So uh, more will be revealed on Tuesday. What we do know is that this is expected to be a quick two-day visit from the former president. Uh, he's expected to return to Florida to give a primetime address from his Mar-a-Lago home on Tuesday night. That's NPR's Jasmine Gars. The American Red Cross is helping residents of Wynn, Arkansas, pick up the pieces after a deadly multi-state tornado outbreak. But as Brandon Tabor of member station KASU tells us, Residents there are bracing for yet another storm system forecast for tomorrow. Joe Zidlow with the American Red Cross said volunteers have been in the city helping to restore power and providing shelter for displaced residents. But he says the organization is also helping residents brace for another round of severe weather by passing out cleaning supplies and tarps for roofs. They're like a 25-foot by 25-foot um, tarp, blue tarp, and it's real important to get out to those communities that were affected and making sure that they're getting those supplies if they do need them. The National Weather Service in Memphis is forecasting a significant risk for tornadoes in eastern Arkansas for Tuesday. For NPR News, I'm Brandon Tabor in Jonesboro. Stocks finished mixed on Wall Street today. This is NPR. This is 90.9 WBUR. I'm Lisa Mullins. Starting April 15th, the MBTA will begin offering $7,500 signing bonuses to new employees to fill vacant positions. That's up from the $4,500 bonuses it's currently offering. Today's announcement comes as a new report finds the T is falling short of meeting its hiring goals. The study from the nonpartisan Massachusetts Taxpayer Foundation blames this in part on the challenging economic climate. Foundation President Doug Hauge says it's indicative of a broader problem. The reality is, without the MBTA meeting its workforce goals, we're not going to have not just the system we want, we're not going to have the system we've had, right? And I think that is absolutely a critical threat to the area's economy. He says the state must do more to train, attract, and retain new workers across all sectors. A note for commuter rail riders today. Shuttle buses are replacing commuter rail service on the Fairmont line today and will do so again tomorrow. There's ongoing construction on the East Cottage Street Bridge in Dorchester. The MBTA says buses will operate near the existing Fairmont line schedule, but passengers should expect longer journeys and delays. The president of Cape Verde was a guest at the state senate chamber today. President Jose Maria Perrini Nevish briefly addressed the state senators, telling them through a translator he was honored to be in the House of Democracy. Because here is the place where the voice of the citizens is heard. President Nevish says the assembly is a place that discussion comes to light and we can all have liberty and justice and dignity. He also met with Governor Maura Healy this morning and spoke to students at Brockton High School this afternoon. Uh, more Cape Verdeans live in Massachusetts than in any other U.S. state. And over 2,700 acres in Vermont's Green Mountain National Forest are now permanently protected from development. The U.S. Forest Service took ownership last week of the property known as the Ralston Wrist. The land near Killington was the largest remaining piece of unconserved private property inside the forest. Supporters of the conservation move say it'll help protect a critical habitat while Vermont continues to see its forested landscape shrink. 
in the forecast. Savor the sunshine today as it's bowing out for a couple of days. Clouds move in tonight. Wind gusts could reach about 25 miles an hour. Temperatures in the mid-40s. Tomorrow should climb all the way to the upper 50s, a little milder than today has been. Cloudy skies for the most part, the off chance of some showers. Then Wednesday, still cloudy, rains likely, could remain in the 40s. 53 degrees now in Boston at 435. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Progressive Insurance with Snapshot, which monitors safe driving habits to determine a personalized rate at Progressive.com. Not available in California and North Carolina or from all agents. And from Workday, committed to helping organizations adapt to change using real-time data to uncover insights, stay decision ready, and prepare for whatever's next the finance, HR, and planning system for a changing world. This is All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Adrian Florido in Culver City, California. And I'm Mary Louise Kelly in Washington. You've seen this show before, by which I mean a media circus gearing up to cover Donald Trump. NPR included. We are leading an hour of today's show with two of our reporters on the ground in Manhattan. It is a huge, unprecedented story, the first time a former U.S. president will be arraigned on criminal charges. It is also true that since these media circuses began during the 2016 election, Trump has proven adept at using the attention to spread misinformation and lies. So how does our news organization plan to cover this story? Well, NPR Vice President and Executive Editor Terry Samuel is in the studio with me now. Hey there, Terry. Hey there. Start by laying out the thinking in terms of the resources that we're bringing to bear, what reporters we've put where on what is a historic story. It's historic, it's important, and it's consequential in any number of ways. And we, like any responsible news organization, must cover it. That much is clear. So we start there. And then, given all that we've learned about covering the Trump presidency and the Trump phenomenon, we are going to focus on the consequential and try to stay away from the showmanship that you reference. And I, w- and I want to get into that, but first just take me specifically to what that looks like. How are we thinking about just staffing it? How much time we give this on air? So there are a couple of things. The on-air look in some ways will come down to what this very show looks like tomorrow. How much other news is competing, right. all the other factors. Okay. But in terms of how we are approaching this, I used to be a court reporter for a long time, and what we have now is... We have two reporters in the courtroom. We have two reporters outside the courtroom because the world is completely different now, and we will have to update that story as it's happening online, in our newscast. Across our social media across platforms. Across our social media yeah. platforms. It is constant and ongoing. We want to be authoritative. We want to be complete. And we're going to be relentless. Live coverage. We're a broadcast news organization, so let's talk about our live coverage. And I will allow that I'm not a neutral party here. I'll be anchoring uh, NPR's live coverage tomorrow. We will not be airing any remarks the former president may make live. Right. Why not? Um, I think it comes down to a single crucial question for us. How much value add do we deliver to an audience, having learned a lot of lessons about how these events go? President Trump is a showman, as you mentioned, and he has been known to manipulate these events to his political advantage. And that's fine, except that's not what we are our audience. And so what we will do is cover the events of tomorrow 
extensively, but devoting resources live says to the audience, this is a singularly important moment and you should hear it. And we don't think that that necessarily rises to that threshold. With the benefit of hindsight, what lessons has NPR learned? What, what have you learned as one of our newsroom leaders looking back on, on how we've covered this particular individual since 2016? I think it's fair to say there have been mistakes and there have been missteps. I think they mostly fall into the category of us doing things the way they have always been done and not recognizing how different candidate Trump, President Trump, now former President Trump, was on the political stage and how he essentially transformed our politics into something different. And so the biggest lesson is that we should not deliver information on the assumption that people know exactly how to make use of that information. Uh, part of our jobs is fact-checking our politics and our politicians who have made it kind of a business model to be not just disingenuous, but completely deceptive for political purposes. Is fact-checking enough? I mean, because we have been doing that. I've done plenty of live coverage of political events these last several years where we were fact-checking in real time, whether in the broadcast, whether on our website. Is that enough? Is that enough? A fair question. I think the answer to that question depends on what your aim is. If your aim is to help people understand what is going on in their politics and their life, it is an essential part of it, and we have to keep at it. If it is to deter politicians from doing this again, then no, it's not enough. Um, the question becomes, what else do we need to do? And I think that is one of the things that uh, we continue to work on. NPR Vice President and Executive Editor Terry Samuel walking us through how NPR is preparing to cover the arraignment of Donald Trump. Terry, thank you. Thank you. Hope it helped. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Comcast Business, providing small businesses with cybersecurity and fiber solutions at speeds up to 10 gigs. Comcast Business, powering possibilities. And Brookline Bank, where financial solutions are crafted to the needs of your business and delivered with a hands-on approach committed to your success. Learn more at brooklinebank.com. Member FDIC. Hey, this is Steve Inskeep with NPR News. When you support public media, you are supporting independent information. Might not always like it, but you'll know that it's delivered in your interest. The facts that citizens need so that we can do our jobs as citizens. Thanks for making WBUR possible. You indeed do make WBR possible. Contributions in the past have brought you everything that you're hearing on the air today. Your contributions will help with everything that you're going to hear on the air tomorrow and for the weeks and months to come. That was a really good example just there with that interview uh, with NPR's executive editor, Terry Samuel, talking about how the network is going to be covering former President Trump's um, appearance in court and uh, what's going to happen in his case. Uh, President Trump landed in New York uh, to surrender earlier today. It'll happen uh, tomorrow, and the coverage will start tomorrow in NPR. This is one of the examples of editorial integrity when you hear exactly what is happening behind the scenes, how decisions are being made at NPR. We hope you recognize that, and we hope you will pay for it right now, one 800 909 9287 WBUR.org. 
I'm Lisa Mullins here with Radio Boston's Tiziana Deering. Exactly, Lisa. You made reference to the stories people will tune in for tomorrow. You will tune in to us because you know tomorrow's a momentous day. Whether it immediately affects your life or not, things will be different after tomorrow because the first former sitting president in United States history will be indicted on a crime. Things will change. No one on public radio is going to gloat. Nobody on public radio is going to bend the facts. You know you will get quality news and information. You know you can rely on that. We're asking you to pay for it. And the fantastic thing is right now, every dollar you give is $2 to WBUR. Some members of our Murrow Society have put together a one-to-one match. Imagine all the other things in your life that you might enjoy getting two for when you bought one. And you can do that right now for WBUR if you call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. Listening to WBUR really gives me a precise understanding of what's going on in a very short amount of time. I get a little smarter every time I listen and I learn all types of different information. It's the sort of programming that helps me understand myself and helps me understand the world around me better. I want to be able to participate in conversations and really contribute to what's going on around me and in the world and and just to be conscious about what's happening in my life. It's just an opportunity to learn about so many different subjects, learn about different places in the world that I never would otherwise have been exposed to. For all the ways WBUR enriches your life, give monthly at WBUR.org. You know, I love hearing those listeners and their testimonials there, especially the idea that by listening to WBUR, you're better informed, therefore a better citizen. We'd like to think that's true. If you believe that that's the case, if you believe that WBUR provides you with something that you value that enhances your life, even something that gives you uh, a topic to talk about at your next cocktail party or at the (laughs) dinner table, then what is that worth to you? Because for us, everything comes at a cost. We'd like to think that this is free, um, but it is certainly not. Your contributions pay for it. We hope that right now you will take advantage of this one-for-one match on the table. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR to get in dot org to get in on that. And if you give $10 a month between 9 now and 7 p.m., we'll give you a sweatshirt. We enjoy thanking you because you are our lifeline. It's a great looking sweatshirt. I'm looking at it now. It's got the WBUR logo, soft and comfy. Lisa and I each have one. We do wear them. Yes. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. So once again, the dollar for dollar match. So that means if you can give right now $25, it becomes 50 And not a cent more comes out of your bank account. $25 a month would be fantastic as well. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Thank you so much. WBUR supporters include Tanglewood and the Boston Symphony Orchestra. A trip to Tanglewood this summer opens a world of possibilities. Tickets on sale at bso.org slash Tanglewood. Today, NASA did something it hasn't done in over 50 years. It announced the names of astronauts who would be going to the moon. NASA's new moon program is called Artemis, after the twin sister of Apollo. But this Artemis crew doesn't look like the ones that would have been selected for the Apollo missions of the 1960s, NPR's Nell Greenfield-Boyce explains. 
A crowd gathered in Houston to learn who would get to go on the Artemis II mission. There were school children, elected officials, Johnson Space Center workers. Behind the stage was a big image of the gray cratered moon. Everyone, please help me welcome our astronaut corps. Dozens of astronauts in blue flight suits ran out. There were high fives and handshakes. It was like a football team going out onto the field. Only four of these astronauts could go on the first mission to the moon since 1972. NASA Administrator Bill Nelson said this would be humanity's crew. May I introduce them to you all? He said the commander will be veteran space flyer Reed Wiseman. The pilot will be Victor Glover, the first black astronaut to live long term on the International Space Station. Glover will be the first black American to go to the moon, and he said he prayed that God would bless their mission. But I also pray that we can continue to serve as a source of inspiration for cooperation and peace, not just between nations, but in our own nation. Joining them will be Christina Hammock Cook. She broke a record for the longest single space flight by a woman and will be the first woman to leave low Earth orbit. We're going to hear the words go for launch on top of the most powerful rocket NASA's ever made, the Space Launch System. She said once in space, they'll put the capsule through its paces. And then, if everything looks good, we're heading to the moon. Yeah. The fourth astronaut on the approximately 10-day mission around the moon and back will be Jeremy Hansen, a first-time space flyer from the Canadian Space Agency. Canada was a major presence during the crew announcement. At one point, there were large Canadian flags flanking the stage. That caught the attention of Teasel Muir Harmony. She's a spaceflight historian and curator of the Apollo Collection at the Smithsonian's National Air and Space Museum. Often when we talk about Artemis, we talk about how um, it's going to land the first woman and person of color on the lunar surface. But she says the inclusion of other nations is also a huge deal. This is one of the things that is new about the Artemis program is that it's going to be sending an astronaut to the moon who is not from the United States. Artemis II is scheduled to launch late next year. In the space business, though, there's often delays. An attempt to land on the moon isn't planned until Artemis III, currently slated for late 2025. Nell Greenfield-Boyce, NPR News. You are listening to All Things Considered from NPR News. Chicago chooses a new mayor tomorrow. The incumbent, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, finished a distant third in the first round of voting and did not qualify for tomorrow's runoff election. In a city where Republicans are scarce, both remaining candidates for mayor are Democrats, but each has a distinctly different idea of what being a Democrat means. From member station WBEZ, Mariah Wolfel reports. In last month's initial race between nine mayoral candidates, you could not have chosen ones more dissimilar than the top two vote-getters now in the runoff. It's a point each of them either start or conclude their stump speeches with these days. Here's Paul Vallis. You have been presented a choice of which two pathways the city will follow, and these two pathways could never be more dissimilar. Vallis, who's running as a Democrat, is a 69-year-old white, tough-on-crime candidate backed by the police union. Then there's 47-year-old Brandon Johnson, a black progressive candidate backed by the union for teachers. This election is about a choice. 
between the stale, broken status quo and a new political collaboration that is built around unity and understanding. These two candidates are opposed on how they'd approach nearly every major issue on the table. Crime has been chief among them, but what's perhaps most distinctive is their different ties to public education. Vallis is a veteran public administrator who got his big start as head of Chicago Public Schools in the 90s. He has since built a controversial reputation as the Mr. Fix-It of troubled school districts, building droves of privately run but publicly funded charter schools in the cities he's worked. Talking about himself in the third person, and he puts it like this. Paul Vallis, the walk, is a public administrative version of a first responder. And right now, our house is on fire and its occupants are in danger. Johnson is a former social studies teacher and an organizer with the progressive Chicago Teachers Union, which has grown more politically aggressive in the past decade, in part in response to policies pushed by administrators like Vallis. But more so than anything else, crime has been top of mind for both candidates and voters as the city continues to grapple with staggering gun violence. Vallis has promised to make Chicago, quote, the safest city in America by bringing back retired police officers to boost ranks. And he tells voters his opponent it would slash the police budget, putting Johnson on the defensive. Paul, hear me. I'm not going to defund the police. I've said that multiple times. I have 3,000 words on my website around public safety. None of those words say defund the police. The election has become a battle between old-school Democrats and those who want to push the party more to the left, according to Jaime Dominguez, a professor at Northwestern University. The notion of progressivism is on the ballot. The emergence of, for example, newly elected younger left-leaning elected leaders, uh, particularly amongst blacks and Latinos, is challenging the vision and priorities of the status quo within the democratic establishment. And in a city that is largely segregated, no Chicago election comes without racial overtones. Black and Latino voters largely went for other candidates in the first round of the election, with Johnson and Vallis enjoying the majority of their support from white residents. Both candidates have been jockeying for endorsements from establishment black and Latino leaders to try to sway the voters who didn't support them initially. For NPR News, I'm Mariah Wolfel in Chicago. This is All Things Considered from NPR News. We are funded by you, our listeners, and by Semester Off, an educational and wellness program in Wellesley helping college-age students and high school grads get on track. Academics, executive function coaching, yoga, and counseling are designed to help develop resilience, improve confidence, and learn new skills. Summer semester starts June 5th. Semesteroff.com. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. At WBUR and NPR, we bring you the kind of journalism that makes a difference in the world. Journalism with real impact requires a significant investment from our reporters and editors and our listeners. Our contributing listeners provide the largest share of WBUR's funding. So when you hear a story that makes a difference to you, make a contribution to us. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And thank you.
Thank you so much if you called so far in the fun drive. If you haven't, please do it right now because Magna there was talking about journalism with an impact. Well, you can have an impact right now on our journalism by right now making your pledge of support for whatever amount WBUR is worth to you. Please do it before we go back to the news. And already you've heard so many interesting stories. You've got many more to come, including at the top of the hour, we're going to be hearing about former President Donald Trump's arriving in New York, where he is to surrender to authorities tomorrow on an expected list of criminal charges. So from the news about Donald Trump to the Chicago election to news about uh, uh, Narcan to uh, Saudi Arabia's surprise oil cut, this is what you get when you listen to WBUR. There's an, a special reason to pay for it right now at one 800 9289 wbur.org. Tiziana Deering, tell us what it is. I will. It's a match. <laughs> Thank it's you. It's a dollar-for-dollar dollar match, Lisa. Some members of our Murrow Society have gotten together and said it is so important that more people give. In fact, it is so important that you, I am speaking specifically to you, that you give, that these Murrow Society members will match your gift dollar for dollar. So a $10 a month gift from you becomes $20. A $50 gift from you becomes $100. A $1,000 gift from you becomes $2,000. And that is incredibly important because we are living in uncertain economic times. We have tens of thousands of supportive listeners, members, people who tell us that we're their lifeline, that even on the hardest news days, we remind them of their humanity. But the truth is, it's gotten harder and harder to find new members, and that scares us. I mean, it definitely keeps me up at night. Stations across the country are experiencing the same decline in the number of donors at a time when we know trustworthy information is so crucial to our collective well-being. So... My hope is that our listeners can help us buck this trend. We know that many of you listening spend more time with WBUR than you do with some of the people you love most. We also know that there are so many good causes to support. But if we matter in your life at all, if you can't imagine a day or a week without WBUR and NPR, we'd love to hear from you. That's our CEO, Margaret Lowe, making the case for why we are asking you to take that dollar-for-dollar match right now and give it 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. Margaret Lowe there mentioned our our listeners can help us buck this trend in terms of the the bad economy that is affecting affecting us all, in fact. Well, uh, you would have no reason to know this because it's kind of inside baseball, but our general listeners are the envy, and they have been for many years, the envy of radio stations around the system, the NPR system, because we have so many loyal listeners out there who donate what they can that we do usually buck the trend, and we hope we will again this time around. We know that the economy has hit all of us, and some harder than others. If you can afford to give right now, we hope you will, especially right now, because we have this one-for-one match on the table. We don't always have this, but we want to keep the momentum going in this fun drive. So take advantage of it right now. If you can become a monthly subscriber, if you haven't yet, give $10 a month, $15 a month, $20 a month. Each of those figures will be doubled. 1-800-909-9287. WBUR.org. You are the single greatest source of our funding at WBUR. We have a range of sources, but especially since the start of the pandemic, increasingly, you have become the most important source. New members are hard to find. 
We need you, especially if you've never given before, now is the moment. And in addition to the dollar-for-dollar match that our Murrow Society members, some of those members can offer, if you give a gift of $10 a month before 7 p.m., we would love to send you a gorgeous, warm, toasty, soft, heathery WBUR sweatshirt as a thank you gift. It's fun. Is it everything? No. Is it a fun <laughs> way to thank it's you? It's everything. It is. Well, yes, Lisa's, <laughs> I stand corrected. But it is a great way to thank you for being our lifeline, for taking advantage of the dollar for dollar match, for stepping up for the news and information you care about. 1 800 909 9287 or WBUR.org. Tiziana and I both have um, one we of these do. sweatshirts, and, and I don't usually wear sweatshirts. I do wear this one. And I often say that our products have, um, our, our gifts, um, uh, wearable gifts, have WBUR modestly displayed on the front. I wouldn't say this one is modest. Plastered. It's, it's, it's plastered on the <laughs> front. So it. leave no doubt as to what your radio station is. The radio station we hope you'll contribute to right now. Again, we have this one-for-one one match on the table. Give $50. If you can swing $50 a month, it would become $100 a month for us without a penny more coming out of your bank account. If you can do $10 a month, please do that. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Thank you. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Fisher Investments. As a fiduciary, Fisher Investments is obligated to act in their client's best interest. Learn more at fisherinvestments.com. Investments in securities involve the risk of loss. From UMA, a cloud-based phone service for any size business with an automated virtual receptionist, video meetings, and other features to connect to customers and coworkers anywhere at uma.com NPR. And from Procter & Gamble, maker of Nervive Nerve Relief. Nervive is designed to reduce occasional nerve aches, weakness, and discomfort in hands or feet due to aging. Learn more at nervivehealth.com. This is NPR. I'm WBUR arts and culture reporter, Cristela Guerra, and this is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUA-Tisbury, and 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. Listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org. WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Janine Herbst. Former President Donald Trump has arrived in New York City ahead of his arraignment tomorrow. NPR's Windsor Johnston reports he was indicted by a Manhattan grand jury last week over his alleged role in hush money payments made to an adult film star. The exact charges in the indictment are expected to be unsealed during Tuesday's arraignment. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office started investigating Trump while he was still in the White House. The case centers on a $130,000 payment made by Trump's then-personal attorney, Michael Cohen, to adult film star Stormy Daniels. The payment took place just days before the 2016 election and sought to silence Daniels from going public about an alleged affair she had with Trump 10 years prior. On Tuesday, the former president is expected to arrive at the courthouse in Lower Manhattan with Secret Service protection. He's not expected to be handcuffed, but will be fingerprinted and have his mugshot taken. Windsor Johnston, NPR News. 
The White House says cutting oil production is not advisable. This in response to news that Saudi Arabia and other oil-producing nations known as OPEC Plus plan to curb the production of oil, as NPR's Asma Khalid reports. OPEC Plus announced it'll reduce oil by more than a million barrels of crude a day. White House spokesman John Kirby says the Biden administration received a heads up and has made it clear cuts are not advisable given the uncertainty in the market. But I'll tell you, we're focused on uh, on uh, moving ahead here uh, on prices for American consumers, not barrels. Um, and I think, as you know, prices at the pump have come down significantly since last year. Last fall, when OPEC made cuts, the White House put pressure on Saudi Arabia and vowed consequences. Though it's unclear if Saudi Arabia faced significant consequences, the White House insists it remains a strategic partner. Asma Khalid, NPR News. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is headed to Poland this week. NPR's Rob Schmitz has more. The Polish president's office has announced Zelensky plans to visit the capital Warsaw on Wednesday. He's scheduled to have an official meeting with Polish President Andrzej Duda, and then he'll meet with Ukrainian migrants and local Poles at Warsaw's royal castle. Zelensky plans to thank Poles for helping Ukraine. NPR's Rob Schmitz. In Nashville, students walked out of class today, joining thousands of others protesting gun violence at the state capitol. This following the deadly shooting last week at a Christian elementary school that left three children and three adults dead. Police say 28-year-old former student Audrey Hale spent months planning the attack, according to writings left behind. Police say Hale considered the actions of other mass murderers and fired 152 rounds before being shot and killed by police. There is still no word on a motive. Wall Street ended the day in mixed territory. This is NPR. This is 90.9 WBUR in Boston. I'm Lisa Mullins. This note for nighttime commuters. The Tip O'Neill Tunnel southbound on I-93 will be closed overnight tonight and tomorrow night. The closure will be in effect from 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. from Sullivan Square before the tunnel begins until the exit of the tunnel near South Station. The ramps from the Tobin Bridge and Stura Drive to 93 South will also be shut down so crews can perform repair work on the tunnel. The MBTA will increase and expand its sign-on bonus program as it tries to attract new workers. The bonus will increase later this month from $4,500 to $7,500 for several positions, including bus drivers, subway train operators, and service technicians. Right now, the bonus is only for bus drivers. Federal officials are asking ships and boats to slow down in the waters south of Martha's Vineyard and Nantucket. Endangered right whales have been spotted in the area. The slow zones are in effect now through April 15th. This is WBUR. It's 5.05. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Heather Sturt Haga and Paul G. Haga, supporting African Wildlife Foundation, working to ensure wildlife and wild lands thrive in modern Africa. Learn more at awf.org. Breezy and beautiful today. We may not see such bright sunshine for a couple of days, though. Clouds move in tonight, lows about 44, some whipping winds tonight. For tomorrow, the slight chance of morning showers, clouds lingering through the day, could reach close to 60 tomorrow. Then for Wednesday, not much change, cloudy and damp, but it should be chillier. Temperatures in the mid-40s. 51 degrees now in Boston. This is WBUR. We are funded by you, our listeners, and by BU School of Social Work. Top-ranked part-time MSW programs in Bedford, Fall River, Worcester, and Cape Cod. bu.edu ssw. I'm Anthony Brooks. There is an inseparable link between the journalism that you rely on from WBUR and the listener support that makes it possible. 
Listener support continues to carry WBUR like never before. That's why your monthly gift is so important right now. To give, go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And thanks. And thank you again for making your contribution. Whatever you can afford to give is what we will appreciate. And especially right now, your money is going to go even further than you can possibly imagine. Or maybe you can't imagine it because we've been talking about it. We're going to tell you anyway. Tiziana Deering is here. So it's a gift. And it's a match, which is amazing because whatever is meaningful for you gets doubled for WBUR. A group of our Morrow Society members have put a one-for-one match on the table. So if you think about a stretch for you, something that says, hey, you mean this to me, WBUR, it becomes twice that for us. Let me do some numbers here. $10 a month becomes $20 a month. $50 a month becomes $100. If you can do a one-time gift of $75, it's really $150 for WBUR. And that means the world. I love that inseparable link idea from Anthony Brooks. We are inseparable from from you. You're the reason we do this work, and you're the reason we can. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. This is Ira Glass of This American Life from Public Radio International. One of the things that makes public radio different is the way that it's funded. We have the most idealistic system, the fairest system, the best system in the world. That is, those of us who listen all the time, those of us who like the kinds of stories and shows and analysis and music and authors that are on this radio station every day, those of us who like that kind of thing, we all pitch in together, and that's how it stays on the air. Public radio equals public support. If you can help out, give a call. And the number is 1-800-909. That's 90.9-9287, which is WBUR. 1-800-909-9287. Or you can pledge online at WBUR.org. It's a really transparent endeavor. When you listen to WBUR, please know that the reason that you hear what you do is because of contributions in the past And when you make a contribution right now and get it matched, by the way, you'll be paying for what you hear tomorrow, the day after, the week after, the month after, and hopefully the year after as well. So you get back from WBUR what you put into it, 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Chris, Lisa, I'm realizing I totally blew it. Yeah, how? I could have worn my sweatshirt. Oh, today? Today. I could still be wearing one right, right now. over there. <laughs> I know. It's the sample sweatshirt exactly. that you can get for a gift of $10 a month. Lisa and I both have one, which should tell you something. It's yes. a cool sweatshirt. After uh, 7 o'clock tonight, it goes up to a gift of $20 a month. So here's what this means. If you give now and you give $10 a month, you get a sweatshirt. It's only $10 a month. We still get $20 a month because of the one-to-one match. And you get to support the quality news and information you believe in. That's like a twofer plus a twofer. I don't know. Plus it's a, a sweatshirt. Lot That's right. <laughs> and you get a sweatshirt. And Lisa just said what she, you said, clouds and whipping winds, I believe, yes. were your actual words. Good word. I did, did not mix in the uh, sweatshirt <laughs> with the weather forecast, but you're right. There this you is... go. So 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org to get all those benefits and show that you value what we bring to you. Yep. One for one match going on right now. Thanks to some very generous uh, listeners and very generous members of WBUR. So whatever you decide to give, 
please be as generous as you can. And by the way, we know that you many people cannot afford to give. That's fine. We're so happy that you choose to listen to us just the same. For those people, perhaps there are some of you who have made a sustaining pledge in the past and would like to add a little bit to it right now because you know that it's going to be matched. So feel free to do that. Um, otherwise, <clears throat> for those of you who've never made a pledge before, 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. That's how you do it. That's how you hold up what this station is giving you, and that is news and information, unbiased news and information, straight down the line. We don't yell at you. We don't tell you how to think. We have editorial integrity, transparency in what we do, and we think that's why you choose to listen. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Thank you. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Boston Ballet's Our Journey with La Mer, a world premiere about ocean preservation by choreographer Nanine Linning, April 6th to 16th, bostonballet.org. This is All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Mary Louise Kelly in Washington. And I'm Adrian Florido in Culver City, California. Former President Donald Trump has landed in New York City. He's set to face charges related to hush money payments to adult film actress Stormy Daniels. Trump is expected to surrender early tomorrow at a Manhattan courthouse. Today, a small group of his supporters protested outside Trump Tower. We love Trump! We love Trump! We love Trump! For the latest, we are joined by NPR reporters Ilya Meritz and Jasmine Garst, who are both in New York. Hi, you two. Hello. Jasmine, you are outside of Trump Tower right now. This is the first former U.S. president to be indicted. It's historic. Uh, what uh, What are you seeing? Well, it's been quite a scene all morning, all afternoon. Law enforcement hasn't indicated that there is any threat, uh, but several parts of Manhattan are completely barricaded and heavily guarded by the NYPD. Uh, The courthouse area and also where I'm standing now, right by Trump Towers, where former President Trump arrived really just a few minutes ago. Uh, And as you said, there were a handful of protesters and a lot of media. Uh, Ilya Meritz, you have been covering the former president's uh, legal difficulties in the state of New York for for years. Uh, What can you tell us about the charges we might see tomorrow? Well, we don't know what they are, and I can't emphasize that enough. We won't know until the indictment is unsealed. We expect that to happen uh, sometime around the middle of the day tomorrow, around 2.15 is when the arraignment is scheduled, so that would make sense. But we do know from the witnesses who've been going in to speak with the grand jury, to, to, to be questioned, that prosecutors seem to be most interested in the hush money payments that Trump fixer Michael Cohen arranged to adult film actress Stormy Daniels in the final days and weeks of the presidential campaign and how uh, President Trump, when once he became president, repaid that $130,000 in hush money. So that is the fact pattern that we think is going to be connected with uh, the charges contained in the indictment that will be unsealed tomorrow. Okay, so as you mentioned, the case remains under seal, but we already seem to be seeing both sides sort of spinning this uh, story to, to set expectations, maybe? Yes, Donald Trump has been head-on attacking the district attorney, Alvin Bragg, and also the judge who will be hearing his arraignment tomorrow, Juan Mershon. Trump posted to social media that Mershon, quote, 
hates me. Uh, we know that District Attorney Bragg has been getting a lot of hate mail and threats. On the substantive side, the president's allies are really trying to paint this case as politically motivated and flimsy outside of the norm. Uh, there is another side to it, and we've seen quite a few former attorneys from the DA's office come forward and try to show the ways in which this case uh, is sort of kind of normal, and to some extent it is. The DA has charged a lot of cases built around keeping false business records. Uh, it's not only unheard of, it's common. That is what we expect to see in the indictment tomorrow. What is unusual is to try to upgrade a false business records case to a felony by tying it to an illegal campaign donation on the federal level with a defendant who's a former president and also a candidate for president. That is unusual, and that seems to be what is going on. So tomorrow morning is uh, when we expect President Trump to turn himself in at the court. Uh, Jasmine Gars, what can we expect to see then? Well, it's expected that he'll be fingerprinted, possibly have his photo taken. Trump's lawyers have said he will not be handcuffed. Um, and, and I should mention, this is a short trip for the former president. He's spending the night tonight at his house in Trump Towers, and then he flies back tomorrow to Mar-a-Lago, where he's going to be delivering a primetime speech. And uh, as Ilya said, that's as much as we know. There's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, Ilya, eventually this case uh, will go to trial uh, in New York, at least we expect it to. Um, but is that months away, years away? We don't think it's a particularly complex case. So if this were any other defendant, any other situation, I would say it will proceed quickly. Uh, but the defendant is Donald Trump. He fought the Manhattan DA all the way to the Supreme Court twice. And I think now we should expect him to throw up a lot of motions to try to slow this down and stymie it. The former DA, Cy Vance Jr., said he thought Trump might even try to get the federal courts involved here. So it's really hard to say, except that all of this will be playing out with the backdrop of a presidential campaign. Jasmine, what are you hearing about all this? Yeah, I'm hearing the same thing that, you know, we don't know what's going to happen, but it is speculated that Trump's camp could push the trial all the way into the 2024 campaign. And, you know, while I was out here, I spoke to several supporters who told me this worries them on the one hand, but it also could be something that kind of adds fuel to his campaign. Here's David Rem right in front of Trump Towers. I'm not worried at all. Donald Trump is going to be victorious. And they're going to fuel his presidency even more by attempting this, this clown circus that they're trying to attempt. So they're saying it might actually help his cause. I've been speaking with NPR reporters Ilya Maritz and Jasmine Garst, who are both in New York covering uh, the expected arraignment tomorrow of uh, Donald Trump at a Manhattan courthouse. Thanks to both of you. Thank you You're for welcome. having me. This is 90.9 WBUR, a mixed finish on Wall Street. The Dow picked up about 1%. S&P rose nearly four-tenths of a percent, and the Nasdaq lost ground. It fell nearly a quarter of a percent. Details coming up on Marketplace tonight at 6.30. This is WBUR. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the Music Emporium, purveyors of vintage and new acoustic and electric guitars for over 50 years. Every instrument has a story. You can discover yours at themusicemporium.com. And Office of the Massachusetts State Treasurer. Check to see if you have unclaimed property at findmassmoney.com. 
Hope you've had a chance to savor the sunshine today because we may not see it for a couple of days. Clouds move in tonight. Wind gusts could reach about 25 miles an hour. Temperatures in the mid-40s. And for tomorrow, should climb all the way to the upper 50s, so a little milder than today has been. Cloudy skies for the most part. The off chance of some showers. Wednesday, still cloudy. Rain is likely. Could stay in the 40s. 50 degrees now in Boston at 518. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. Misinformation is having a profound impact on our country. We need strong voices that tell the truth and deliver the facts. WBUR amplifies those voices, and its strength is listener support. Monthly contributions to WBUR ensure that hundreds of thousands of listeners get information they need to make critical decisions every day. Not a monthly contributor yet? You can make a meaningful difference at WBUR.org or call one 800 909 9287. You can do that right now because we have a one-for-one match on the table. I'm Lisa Mullins. Here to tell you more about that is Radio Boston's Tiziana Deering. Yeah, I really appreciate uh, Mary Louise Kelly saying meaningful difference. We have an opportunity for you to make a meaningful difference and have it amplified because some members of our Muro Society have made a one-for-one match. Decide on an amount that is meaningful to you to contribute to WBUR in this spring fundraiser. They will match it dollar for dollar. It becomes twice the impact. $10 from you becomes $20, especially if it's a monthly gift. $100 from you becomes $200. The number is 1-800-909-9287. We make meaningful news and information for you. You go to WBUR.org and make a meaningful gift, and it can be doubled. We're hoping that you will make that gift right now because we have news coming up. So much news is happening today, not just concerning the former president, Donald Trump, and his arraignment, but also a story just ahead on the double standards baked into basketball culture and women's sports. You know, what you get here, of course, is hard news stories, breaking news stories in some cases, and you get sports, and you get the arts, and you get the flavor of life in uh, across the entire spectrum. And, and that's how people live their lives. And we know that so many of you appreciate that. And right now, please know we don't have commercials to pay for. We don't want commercials, and we can't by charter have them. What we have is you. You and your contributions make up the majority of what you hear on the air, the majority of the money that supports it. So please support us right now while we have this dollar-for-dollar match on the table. 1-800-909-9287. WBUR.org. You know, Lisa, you just laid out a range of the stories, and sometimes our reporters also go out and peer into corners that we might not have seen on our own. WBUR's Gabriella Emanuel is going to tell us about one of those types of stories. I was in the kitchen washing dishes, watching testimony from a state house hearing that happened earlier in the day. The topic they were talking about was wheelchairs, and the testimony was just so striking. I stopped doing the dishes and I began taking notes. I felt very vulnerable, extremely vulnerable. Researchers estimate that more than half of wheelchairs break down in any typical six-month period, and it regularly takes months to get a chair fixed. And the guy opens the package in front of me, and it's the wrong part. And it always is the wrong part. After the story aired, I heard from dozens of listeners, and many weren't wheelchair users themselves. They just wanted to be part of a solution. I am Gabriella Emanuel, a health and science reporter here at WBUR. We want to tell you more stories like this one. If you can, 
please consider making a monthly gift at WBUR.org. You know, Lisa, I remember hearing that story. Mm -hmm. And I remember a sense of franticness, right? This sense of, oh my God, Mm -hmm. how can that be? And it's when our reporters have the chance to bring you that kind of understanding of someone else's life that I think we're at our best. And that's why we ask you to support us and give now for that dollar for dollar match. And if you give $10 a month right now before 7 p.m., we can also give you a thank you gift that we'll just enjoy giving you. It's a sweatshirt. It's a gray sweatshirt. Lisa and I are both looking at it here. We both own one at home. It's cozy. It's comfortable. It's a great way to say thank you for your $10 a month gift, which also gets doubled, by the way, at one 800 909 or by going to WBUR.org. And once again, that's for your contribution of $10 a month for uh, one year, and it will be doubled right now, become $20 a month. And by the way, after 7 o'clock tonight, it's $20 a month for the sweatshirt anyway. So right now you have a chance to get it at the discounted rate and have your... Um, pledge of support doubled dollar for dollar, 1-800-909-9287, WBUR.org. A lot of you out there might have just discovered WBUR recently, don't know our funding model. Our funding model is really transparent. You listen, think about the value of WBUR to you and the amount of time you spend listening, and then give in proportion to that, if you can. Um, and some people will be able to give more at a certain time, some less at a certain time. But right now is a real incentive to give, period. And that is because your contribution will be matched Every dollar will be matched. So if you can swing $20 a month, it'll become 40 40 will become 80 and so on. Listen, the next 24 hours are going to be a little unprecedented. And it, that might actually be an oxymoron. Can you say a little unprecedented or do you just have to say unprecedented? I think it's like pregnancy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So the next 24 hours are going to be unprecedented, as have so many moments in the news in the last year or two. This is when you turn to public radio, where you will get quality news with integrity, without hyperbole, truth that you can rely on, editorial independence. These are the days where we are where you know you can turn for news and information that you trust to help you put one foot in front of the other and make sense of a complicated world because we're the ones you turn to and because you are our lifeline, the single greatest source of our funding, we're asking you to give now. The fact that we can double your gift is all the more reason for the now part of that, not just the give part of that, but the now part of that. The fact that a $10 a month gift becomes $20 and gives you a sweatshirt if you do it before seven o'clock is the now part of that. But the give is because you believe us and because you know we're going to be here for you day after day. 1-800-909-9287 is the phone number. WBUR.org is the website. Lisa and I are here asking you to do it now because it's important, because you are our lifeline. Just think about when you uh, sit down for dinner tonight um, or maybe meet up with somebody for dinner. What are you going to be talking about? Maybe you'll be talking about what you heard on WBUR because a lot of times you hear somebody else say, I was just listening to NPR the other day. And this is the the station that gives you information, understanding, as Tiziana said, um, edifies you, entertains you. 
whatever WBUR means to you, put a dollar value to that because you're not going to be hearing commercials. And that means that we don't have commercial interests. And that's the way we want it. We want to be editorially independent. We think you want that too. So make it possible by giving your funds right now in whatever amount you can. 1-800-909-9287. Support for NPR comes from this station. And from BritBox with The Confessions of Franny Langton, one woman's story of courage, murder, and forbidden love in this new original drama. Available to stream at BritBox.com NPR. From CFP, certified financial planner professionals committed to acting in their clients' best interests. Learn more at letsmakeaplan.org. And from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, helping NPR advance journalistic excellence in the digital age. This is All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. And I'm Adrian Florido. Yesterday afternoon, the game lived up to the hype. The NCAA women's finals were electric, ending with the LSU Tigers beating the Iowa Hawkeyes in a convincing fashion, 102-85. to Both teams had a slew of strong starters. Iowa's Caitlin Clark beat all kinds of college basketball records despite her loss. But LSU's dominating performance is now being overshadowed by a viral gesture that LSU champion Angel Reese made just as her team was about to clinch the title. People on Twitter went nuts, and the response to the gesture has sparked a heated debate about race and double standards in women's basketball. Bill Roden wrote about this while covering the national championship game in Dallas for ESPN's Anscape. He joins us now. Bill, welcome. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Can you describe this gesture which uh, LSU's Angel Reese, who is black, made toward Iowa's Caitlin Clark, who, who is white? Yeah, well, the gesture is that you take your, your hand and you wave it in front of your face like there's no defense. Get this right, Adrian, because you're going to have to do it when you play your pickup basketball game. <laughs> So that's that's what it meant. Like I said, I'd been seeing Caitlin do it. She did it throughout the game Friday against South Carolina because, hey, she scores 41 points. So she was doing it a lot. But I think the issue was that when Angel Reese did it, it was as the game was winding down and it was clear that LSU was going to win. She basically walked toward Clark, making sure that she saw it, but also pointed to her ring finger, signifying that she was about to get Uh, a championship ring. So I think the issue here was why did this trash talking now become a thing when LSU star player and an African-American woman do it? So it was a whole thing of double standards that kind of exploded. One of the debates that has exploded is about the racial dynamics of of this moment. Um, But before we get to that, let's start with gender uh, and the fact that this was a women's game And in a sport like basketball, where trash talk is sort of baked into the culture of play, um, why are women ballplayers being picked apart? If there were two men's teams playing, this probably wouldn't even be an issue. But the the problem is women are still imprisoned in this cage that's largely of a male making. You're not supposed to be sweat getters and be competitors and pushing and shoving and talking trash and going back and forth, not considered, quote unquote, ladylike. And then the other layer of that, of course, and that's where white women are put on this pedestal, chained to this pedestal. Black women uh, have always been portrayed in white media as the sweat getters, you know, women who are rough and tough and not accorded the ladylike, quote unquote, standard 
as, as their white counterparts. So you had all of this uh, bundled up. Angel Reese and her whole team were, were on fire last night. LSU controlled the entire game. Uh, and afterward, Reese said, quote, I was critiqued for who I was. I'm too hood. I'm too ghetto. But when others do uh, mimic Reese's style, they're praised. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those great moments. I call it a Muhammad Ali moment. Remember, she's talking to a largely white press, and she puts it front and center. She puts it right in their lap. It was a very powerful, powerful statement that put everybody on notice. And that's what I think set everybody off, because a number of people in that room, in that large press room, and probably watching globally, had to really start doing some soul searching, because it was a double standard. I've been speaking with Bill Roden. He's a columnist with ESPN's Anscape. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Tanglewood and the Boston Symphony Orchestra. A trip to Tanglewood this summer opens a world of possibilities. Tickets on sale at bso.org slash Tanglewood. Live from NPR News in Culver City, California, I'm Dwayne Brown. Some of the world's biggest oil producers are cutting back supplies of crude to the global economy by a million barrels a day. That includes Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, and Kuwait, among others. The news comes as Russia extends its own cuts in an effort to overcome Western sanctions over its invasion of Ukraine. The decision by the Saudi government and other major oil producers came as a surprise and could undermine worries about a potential global recession. National Security Spokesman John Kirby says the White House disagrees with the move, given the market's uncertainty. We clearly have not agreed with everything uh, Saudi has done or said any more than they've agreed with us on everything we've done or said. Uh, we're, uh, we're focused on, uh, on moving ahead. And as we do, we will constantly look at that as well as any other bilateral relationship. Gas prices in the U.S. are highly dependent on crude, which makes up about half of the price per gallon. More violence is occurring in Jerusalem and the Israeli-occupied West Bank. NPR's Daniel Lestrin tells us from Tel Aviv that Israel says Iran was behind a drone that entered its airspace. Israel's military says it killed two Palestinian gunmen in the West Bank during a raid to capture wanted militants. That comes after Israeli police killed a recently graduated doctor Saturday outside the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound in Jerusalem. Police say the Palestinian grabbed for an officer's gun. Palestinians on local media say the man tried to prevent police from harassing a woman on her way to prayers. The U.S. has been concerned about tensions in Jerusalem as Ramadan and Passover are about to overlap. Meanwhile, Israel shot down what it said was an Iranian drone. And due to the security situation, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu decided to retain his defense minister, whom Netanyahu recently fired for criticizing a planned judicial overhaul. Daniel Estrin, NPR News, Tel Aviv. And you're listening to NPR. This is 90.9 WBUR. I'm Lisa Mullins. Massachusetts' highest court is now deciding whether to sanction three former prosecutors for a decade-old drug lab scandal. Three former assistant attorneys general accused of withholding evidence after the prosecution of former state chemist Sonia Farrick. She is convicted of personally using some of the drugs she was testing at the state lab in Amherst. WBR's Deborah Becker reports on today's hearing before the Supreme Judicial Court. 
The three lawyers are accused of not turning over evidence that showed that Farrick's misconduct went on longer than first acknowledged, affecting more criminal cases. Thousands of criminal drug convictions were dismissed because they were based on her testing. Assistant Bar Counsel Joseph McAlusky told the justices all three prosecutors should be sanctioned. The purpose of bar discipline is to protect the public and their confidence in the legal system. That confidence was shaken. The prosecutor's attorney said they all believed the evidence had been disclosed and they urged the justices to impose a lower penalty than recommended. An SJC decision could come by this summer. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Deborah Becker. In New Hampshire, a Keene State College student is accused of threatening an unidentified member of Congress. Federal prosecutors say Alan Pauler left a voicemail threatening to, quote, strike back and even kill the congressperson if they continued to support legislation that he said threatens gay people. Prosecutors say Pollard told investigators he was drunk and emotional when he made the call and doesn't even own a gun. The field is set for a pair of special elections to fill two state representative seats in Boston. Secretary of State Bill Galvin said today that two Democrats qualified for the ballot in the race to replace John Santiago. Galvin said three Democrats will be on the ballot for Ed Coppinger's old seat, Both reps resigned earlier this year for other jobs. No Republicans are running. The elections happen on May 2nd. And former Boston Mayor Marty Walsh will speak at Suffolk University's graduation this year. The school made the announcement today. Walsh recently stepped down as President Joe Biden's labor secretary. He's now head of the National Hockey League Players Association. Commencement at Suffolk happens on May 21st. In the forecast, sunset is at 712 tonight, and that should be it for the sunshine for a while. Overcast skies tonight falling to the mid-40s. Could have a few showers tomorrow on the early side, followed by a lot of clouds, gray through the day but milder up in the high 50s. Wednesday, cloudy, windy, and cooler, sticking to the mid-40s. This is WBUR. It's 535. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Bank of America, offering access to resources and digital tools designed to help local to global communities make moves for their businesses. Learn more at bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness. And from iDrive with Remote PC, providing remote access to PCs, Macs, and servers from anywhere, designed to assist those working from home. More at remotepc.com. This is NPR. From NPR News, this is All Things Considered. I'm Mary Louise Kelly in Washington. And I'm Adrian Florido in Culver City, California. 9-11 impacted Ted Olson both personally and professionally. His wife Barbara died on one of the hijacked planes that day. He was also the United States Solicitor General at the time, and he defended the decision to use the U.S. military base in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, to prosecute terrorism suspects. Now he's changed his mind, and he spoke about his new thinking with NPR's Sasha Pfeiffer, who covers Guantanamo. Hi, Sasha. Hi, Adrian. What is Olson saying now that differs from his previous position? Ted Olson used to support Guantanamo, but he now says it's totally dysfunctional. He's even calling it, quote, doomed from the start. He points out that the military court has gotten hardly any convictions. There are still 31 prisoners there, some of whom have been there more than two decades without being charged. And Olson calls the 9-11 case, quote, an open sore that needs to be resolved. The men accused in the 9-11 attacks, meaning Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and his four co-defendants, have still not been tried. So Olson is saying no more. Here's part of what he told me. 
It's clearly not working because we've had these individuals in custody for decades, and we have no end in sight. There's been no trials, and this can't go on forever. It has to come to a conclusion in the interests of everyone. And Adrian, by everyone, he's referring not just to the prisoners, but the families of people who were killed or hurt on 9-11. And because Olson was a prominent conservative voice in the Bush Justice Department, that's a significant reversal. So then how does he say these cases should be resolved? Well, for almost two decades, Guantanamo prosecutors have been trying to take the 9-11 case to trial and get those men sentenced to death. Olson is saying, give up on the death penalty. Realistically, it's not going to happen. The case is too bogged down. He told me there should be a settlement agreement. If these individuals are willing to plead guilty and to accept a sentence of life imprisonment without possibility of parole, hopefully that will bring about the conclusion of this long, unending chapter. And Olson is encouraging President Biden to intercede and help usher those plea negotiations along. Does Olson think that President Biden is likely to do that? He says he can't predict what the president will do, but he doesn't anticipate much public outcry if there's a settlement. And Olson told me that he hopes his own public support of a plea deal will provide political cover to Biden to push for that. Because I was someone whose wife was murdered on that day, and because I was a top-level official in the Justice Department, might give people a little bit more comfort in saying, yes, we ought to resolve it in this way. And actually, 9-11 settlement talks have been underway for the past year, although they're in limbo while Guantanamo lawyers wait for the Biden administration to answer several key questions. What are some of those questions? Questions like where the 9-11 prisoners would serve their sentences if they plead guilty. Currently, they couldn't go to an American supermax because there's a federal law that blocks Guantanamo inmates from entering the U.S. for any reason. But Olson told me he'd like that law changed. I would support modifying the law to allow these individuals to be kept in maximum security prisons in the territory of the United States. However, Adrian, the 9-11 defendants would prefer to stay at Guantanamo. And that may sound surprising, but they're now able to sometimes eat and pray together. And if they get transferred to a supermax, they'd probably be held in isolation. So their lives at Gitmo may be better than they would in a maximum security prison in the U.S. But those kinds of conditions of confinement would have to be negotiated. Wanting to remain at Guantanamo, that just seems so uh, counterintuitive. It does. It really does. And, and by the way, Olson says another possible benefit of settling the 9-11 case could be intelligence gathering. He says if the defendants plead guilty, they might provide information like how they were recruited and how the 9-11 plot came together in more detail. And that's intel many people still want. That's NPR's Sasha Pfeiffer. Thanks. You're welcome. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Cambridge School of Culinary Arts in Porter Square with culinary and pastry certificate and diploma programs for aspiring chefs. CambridgeCulinary.com or on their app. Hi, I'm Joanna Kakissis in Kyiv, Ukraine. Wherever the story takes us, NPR does whatever it takes to get the story right. Give today to support this critical mission. We hope you'll give today. In fact, we hope you give right now because we have a special offer on the table here at WBUR. If you're not uh, familiar with these offers, they don't happen a lot. And we are very grateful to some members, generous members of WBUR for putting up a dollar for dollar match. So 
on top of that really interesting story you just heard from Sasha Pfeiffer, on top of the interview you're about to hear with NPR's Sylvia Pajoli, who's going to be leaving the network after about four decades, you have a chance to get a sweatshirt, and you also have a chance to have your money doubled, dollar for dollar. Imagine going to the gas station and getting double the number of gallons in your gas tank for the same amount of money. I would take that deal. I would go to that particular gas station all day long. And until 7 o'clock tonight, and to be clear, that is an hour and 19 minutes. That's all you've got left. You can get double the value of your gift to WBUR. These matches really, really matter. Every dollar that you give really actually does matter for our ability to bring you the quality news and information you rely on. We're not kidding. You are our largest source of funding, and we rely on you. So when you take advantage of this hour and 18 minutes now to get a dollar dollar for dollar match, it's huge. The number is 1-800-909-9287, and the website is WBUR.org. WBUR welcomes the conversation. There's always room for everyone to have a voice, whether it's a college student or an expert in the field. There's equal value given to everyone's opinion. There's definitely a community of listeners and people who I respect and admire and like to talk to. Very often things will come up about, you know, did you hear about so-and-so on BUR this morning? Did you hear about what happened? Did you hear about this story? Did you hear that interview? So it is a common connecting point. I feel like I am part of a larger community. I've never met these other people, but I feel like I'm connected with them, like aligned with a common purpose. We all want a thoughtful, deep, examined way of living. I really believe in the mission of WBUR and the strength that is created when we all give our own little part. Strengthen your community. Give monthly at WBUR.org. We hope you will give monthly. We hope you'll give right now as this dollar-for-dollar match is on the table. It's really great to hear listeners talk about what they appreciate about WBUR because if if you think of other radio stations, commercial radio stations around and say, what you know, what is it that you appreciate about this station? You're probably not going to be hearing conversations like, uh, you know, welcoming the gray and embracing the messy middle and, and welcoming more conversation. You're going to be hearing about maybe an announcer and the funny thing that they did or the person they called who did. No. So so make your pleasure support for the station that really galvanizes people who are interested in things, people who may want to know more about a particular issue, may want to laugh about an issue, may want to understand something, may want to talk to their kids about a particular issue or their parents or whomever, and and put a dollar value on that um, and, and understand that we rely on you individually to uh, make up the majority of our operating budget. It is not commercials. It is you. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Put a dollar value on that, and then some members of our Moreau Society will double it. They will double whatever that dollar value is, but only for the next hour and 16 minutes. And if that dollar value is $10 a month, 
which by the way will be 20 for us because of our borough society members we can send you a wbur sweatshirt with our thanks it's got white and black wburs running down the front it's that kind of heather gray that football reverse weave looking it's comfy and soft on the inside it's a good one we good like it lisa and i both wear it <laughs> 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. And it says WBUR four times on the front. Four. One, two, three, four times. You can't hide it. So support us. 1-800-909-9287. WBUR.org. Thank you. WBUR supporters include Salem State University School of Graduate Studies. Join classmates with varied professional and educational backgrounds. SalemState.edu slash graduate. From NPR News, this is All Things Considered. I'm Adrian Florido. And I'm Juana Summers. One of the things we love here at All Things Considered is bringing you stories from around the world. And for about the past 40 years, Sylvia Pajoli has brought us some incredible stories from Italy, the Vatican, and across Europe. Sylvia has taken listeners and us hosts along with her off the beaten path through her work. But now she is hanging it up and moving on from life at NPR. Sylvia Pajoli joins us now from Rome. It's so great to have you. Thank you for having me, Juana. I mean, you've been doing this work for nearly 50 years, and you've covered such a wide range of topics and stories. Is there perhaps a place that you went to that stands out in your mind? Well, I think maybe Prague, December 1989, where the Velvet Revolution uh, was played out. But there was something about Prague, the demonstrations. It was just, uh, it was, it was delightful. It was peaceful. It was, it was happy. It was gay. The most hostile act was tens of thousands of people demonstrating in the squares. They were shaking their keys. It was symbolic, a message they were sending to the, to the communist apparatchiks, the people who had run this country for decades, to leave office, to get out close the door. <laughs> they wanted to lock them out. And the dissident playwright Václav Havel, who later became the president of Czechoslovakia, he was sort of the, the leader of this incredibly peaceful revolution. Under Gothic arches, two small rooms are lined with bookcases displaying Czechoslovak samizdats, clandestine publications that were taboo reading material for the people of Czechoslovakia for decades. Some are typewritten or Xerox or carbon copies that were passed secretly from hand to hand. Some were published in the West by exiles and smuggled into the country. The cover of one book by playwright Václav Havel shows a pencil pierced by a thick nail while blood seeps from below. Tell me, I see here well, John Lennon, yeah. there's Andy Warhol, yeah. uh, Charles Bukowski. These yeah. were banned books? Yeah. I know back in 2013 you worked on this piece about the hunt for music that was lost in the Holocaust. Tell us a little bit about it. What stands out to you? Well, it was the sheer dedication of this man, uh, Francesco Lotoro, a musicologist. He lives in a very small town in southern Italy, a place really off the beaten track, Barletta. And he has set out as the goal of his life to resurrect the music of the dead. He wants to fill the hole left in Europe's musical history. He has been scrounging around throughout Europe through many capitals. He salvaged many scribbled uh, scraps of paper. He pointed out to me that many of the compositions, just the way they're composed, they reveal the anguish of the composer not having enough time to complete their work, the sense of urgency, sounding almost like a Morse code. 
Lotoro moves over to his piano and plays an excerpt from Nonet, a composition for nine instruments the Czech composer Rudolf Karol wrote in Prague's Pankratz prison. There is a, like a telegraph. No, at a certain moment I imagine that this is a Morse codex. As an anti-Nazi political prisoner, Karol was not allowed access to notepaper, but he was able to use toilet paper for his compositions. And Sylvia, one of the issues that you have gone deep on throughout your time here at NPR is migration in all its forms across Europe. And I do want to pause here to offer listeners a warning because what we're about to discuss does involve sexual violence, but this reporting was also incredibly important and powerful. Back in the year 2000, you reported on forced prostitution in Eastern Europe. Can you just tell us a bit about what you learned? That was really one of the toughest stories I covered. Uh, It was hard, first of all, to also reach some of these women who had been trafficked because they're they're so scared. They're so scared to talk. But through some women's groups uh, who work with these, the women who have had the courage to break away from their from their, really, their captors. It was really terrible. And the way also, you know, once they've entrapped these women, how they break their will. And of course, it's through these brutal sexual assaults on these women. He will stay in Italy. He will stay here and he will take another woman and throw her away too. Then he will take another woman and throw her away. He will stay until they throw him into hell. Silvia, Tatiana, and Bianca are among the few who have had the courage to rebel. At nighttime, the back streets of European cities are filled with Monicas, Irinas, Mimosas, and Lubas. This was 20 years ago, and police at that time were saying that at least one streetwalker is found murdered every month just in Italy. Just some incredible reporting there. I mean, Sylvia, you've had such an incredible run with us. But what comes next? What are you going to be focusing on in your life after NPR? (laughs) <laughs> well, <laughs> first of all, I'm going to take a different pace, <laughs> but I don't know. I've got some ideas sort of running around in my brain. More than anything right now, I want to sort of be able to start reading long novels again <laughs> without any interruption from the news. <laughs> well, that's a voice we hear in the newsroom and across NPR will miss very much. Sylvia Pajoli, former Italy foreign correspondent for NPR, thank you, and you'll of course be missed. Thank you very much. What do you do with ingenuity, free time, and freezing temperatures? Well, in Matawaska, Maine, you build the world's largest ice carousel. The northern Maine ice busters took on this chilling endeavor. They described themselves on Facebook as just a bunch of northern Maine working-class citizens trying to beat cabin fever in the winter months. So, on Saturday, they created a rotating disc of ice on the local frozen lake. (laughs) A giant rotating disc. The hunk of ice came in at 1,776 feet in diameter. According to a video that the Ice Busters posted, it weighed quite a bit. 148,000 tons, or the equivalent of 40,190... Turns out estimating the weight of an ice carousel is not an exact science. Other reports say it came in at 165,000 tons. To make the disc, the crew used drills and chainsaws to cut through 29 inches of ice. 
Roger Morneau is one of the masterminds behind the project. He told News Center Maine that breaking the ice was no easy task. The wind was just howling across, like couldn't see anything. So you'd cut a little bit of ice, and then you'd look back, and it was indistinguishable. To qualify for world record status, the disc had to spin at least one full revolution. The Ice Busters' first attempts involved an old potato harvester motor, and they only managed to turn the disc three feet. But they kept at it with the help of a pickup and an off-road vehicle called a fat truck. The disc finally began to turn, even if at glacial speeds. How fast do you think we're going? What? Do we have enough beer? That's that's the question. Do we have enough beer? <laughs> the full record-breaking revolution ended up taking close to two and a half hours. Five, four, three, two, one. No word on whether that beer supply lasted the whole time. You're listening to All Things Considered from NPR News. We are funded by you, our listeners, and by Dana-Farber Brigham Cancer Center, where everyone on your team specializes in your type of cancer. Learn more at DanaFarberBrigham.org. And Complex Stories, working to turn big ideas into compelling videos, online experiences, presentations, reports, infographics, and more. ComplexStories.com. Hey, it's Jonas Adams from All Things Considered. You don't know my voice because I'm the show director. I work behind the scenes. And that's the thing about NPR. It takes all of us to make it work. Producers, engineers, web designers, and you, the listener. We do this work to keep you informed. And individual gifts are the biggest source of funding for NPR member stations, like this one. So please, just take a minute and donate today to keep the work going for everyone. Absolutely. I love hearing that uh, because Tiziana Deering, who's with me right now, and I both know that there are many, many people who are behind the scenes who are just as much a part of what you hear on the air as we are. And right now, the um, uh, person that I'm looking at is John Kane, who's smiling back there, and Eddie Mazoulis, who's on the board, and Jacob, who is our new fellow. And all of these people have a hand in what's happening today. You have a hand in what's happening today because if it weren't for contributions and we hope among them are yours in the past, you wouldn't be hearing stories like what you just heard on the world's largest ice carousel or earlier on uh, the story from Sasha Pfeiffer on the future of Guantanamo Bay or the interview with Sylvia Pajoli on her own future. So make your pledge of support for what you hear on WBUR right now, 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. And there is a reason that you should indeed call and make your pledge right now. There is, but first, Lisa. Yeah. It's Sylvia Pajoli. Sylvia Pajoli. Thank yeah, you sorry very about much. That. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I got to do that every time I can <laughs> while she's still here. The reason is a dollar for dollar match. There is an hour and five minutes left to have every dollar that you give to WBUR matched by another dollar given by some member of our some members of our Murrow Society because they know how important it is that you give. They're trying to show you that. They're saying, listen, we'll put our money forward to ask you to put yours on the table to support the news and information you 
rely on. And you do. Tomorrow, starting at 2 o'clock, there's going to be special coverage of uh, Donald Trump, uh, who, as you know, is being indicted. Uh, Co-host Robin Young of Here and Now will be part of that special coverage. She brings you the news and information that you need. But she also knows how important it is to bring you the stories that help us reach beyond the daily news and connect us to each other as people. Sometimes it's hard to stick your head up and look around and see some of the beauty and the joy in this world. And I think that's another thing we're devoted to. I mean, a conversation with Jerry Seinfeld or Jeanette McCurdy, who's a 30-something, who uh, her story is kind of devastating about the abuse when she was a child star. But to be around her spirit and to be at WBUR City Space and see these hundreds of young women who came to laugh and cry with her, you know, to bring in those kinds of human moments, I think that's also something that we leave room for that a lot of the cable news stations don't. I mean, we are determined to also take time for the things that make us feel alive. Because you value that, because you value the way we bring our humanity to each other in public radio. We're asking you to take time now. There's an hour and three minutes left. Get the dollar for dollar match. Show that you care about the public radio radio you rely on. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. You know, there, I was just looking at our rundown, the stories that we presented today. <clears throat> there is one story on, uh, you're going to be hearing this, I think, coming up in the next half hour on Narcan uh, and being allowed to be sold over the counter. This is the, the opioid overdose reversal drug, Narcan naloxone. This is a story that runs eight and a half minutes. Now, you just heard Robin Young there say we make time for these stories. There are places that will cover this story in 30 seconds, maybe one minute, maybe one and a half minutes. We could have also done the same thing, but we realize that there's enough controversy about this. There's enough impact to this that we're looking at all ends of it. We're looking at the gray. We're looking at the economic aspect of it. Uh, this is the kind of thing that you count on WBUR to do, and we hope you will pay for it right now because we don't have commercials that pay for it. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. We have a double 7 o'clock deadline, and that's because we have a double benefit for you until 7 o'clock. The first is the dollar-for-dollar dollar, dollar dollar match, which Lisa, I seem to be having trouble saying today. <laughs> I think it's because it's been a long day. The other is for $10 a month, only until 7 o'clock. After 7 o'clock, it goes up to $20 a month. For $10 a month, a gift for $10 a month, we will give you a WBUR sweatshirt. It's that Heather Gray sort of football season looking, reverse weave looking, soft gray sweatshirt. I love when she says a reverse weave. <laughs> it's got the WBUR uh, logo on it, sort of four times down the front. Um, you get it, you get your dollars doubled until 7 o'clock. To be clear, that's one hour and one minute from now. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. Show how much you value the news. It doesn't take long, and we'd love to thank you with that sweatshirt and double the value that you're giving to us. Absolutely. 1-800-909, that's 90.9-9287, that's WBUR. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. 
It's a chance to become a subscriber to WBUR, a sustainer, by making a uh, pledge, a monthly pledge of, say, $15 a month, $20 a month, and you will have it doubled dollar for dollar right now. Thanks so much for the call. Support for NPR comes from this station and from UMA, a cloud-based phone service for any size business with an automated virtual receptionist, video meetings, and other features to connect to customers and coworkers anywhere at uma.com slash NPR. From PBS with The Sun Queen, American Experience presents the story of scientist Maria Telkesh, who dedicated her career to harnessing the power of the sun, premiering tomorrow at 9, 8 central on PBS. And from Indeed, a hiring platform committed to helping businesses of all sizes. Businesses can invite candidates to apply, then schedule and conduct interviews in one place. Indeed.com slash NPR. I'm here and now executive producer Carlene Watson, and this is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUA-Tisbury, and 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. Listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org. WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Janine Herbst. Former President Donald Trump is in New York City ahead of his arraignment tomorrow after a Manhattan grand jury indicted him last week in connection with hush money payments to an adult film star. It's the first time in U.S. history that a former president is facing criminal charges, as NPR's Barbara Sprunt reports. A New York grand jury voted last week to indict Trump after hearing testimony and evidence related to hush money payments made to cover up an alleged affair. The twice impeached former president, who's again seeking the Republican nomination, is scheduled to appear before a judge Tuesday. The official indictment remains under seal until that time. House Republican leadership is supporting the former president. Speaker Kevin McCarthy has called the indictment an unprecedented abuse of power. Trump's campaign team has been fundraising off the indictment, telling supporters they raised $4 million in the 24 hours after the indictment was handed down and another million the following day. Barbara Spren, NPR News, Washington. The state medical examiner in Virginia has ruled the death of Ivo Otieno a homicide. Whitney Evans of VPM in Richmond reports the 28-year-old black man was killed last month while being admitted to a state psychiatric hospital. The medical examiner confirmed Ivo Otieno died by, quote, positional and mechanical asphyxia with restraints. Surveillance video shows Otieno handcuffed with his legs shackled while sheriff's deputies and hospital workers pile on top of him for more than 11 minutes. Three days earlier, a neighbor had reported to police that Otieno was moving yard lights. He was taken into custody and shuffled from a hospital to a jail cell before being transported to the psychiatric facility. Ten people have been charged with second-degree murder, including seven sheriff's deputies and three state hospital employees. All have been released on bond ahead of their hearings. For NPR News, I'm Whitney Evans in Richmond. The White House says it had advance notice that Saudi Arabia and other OPEC nations would cut oil production by around 1.1 million barrels a day. And National Security Council spokesman John Kirby says reasons behind the cuts aren't clear, but that the Biden administration plans to make sure that the U.S. oil supply is in a place where it can supplement if necessary. I can't even begin to speculate uh, why this decision was made. We, we don't know. 
Um, and I'm not, I'm not going to try to guess. Uh, I can say that we've been consistent in, in our plans to uh, to refill the strategic petroleum reserve and and to try to do it uh, at a good deal for taxpayers. The cuts are on top of an announcement in October when OPEC Plus said it would cut production by two million barrels a day. Wall Street ended the day in mixed territory. The Dow up 327, the Nasdaq down 32. This is NPR News. This is 90.9 WBUR. I'm Lisa Mullins. Interstate 93 south through much of Boston will be closed to traffic tonight and tomorrow night. The State Department of Transportation will close the stretch from Sullivan Square through the length of the O'Neill Tunnel to the South Station area. The closure will last each night from 11 p.m. to about 5 a.m. It's taking place so crews can perform repair work in the tunnel. A note for commuter rail riders, shuttle buses will be replacing trains on the commuter rail's Fairmont line now through tomorrow. It's due to an ongoing construction project on the East Cottage Street Bridge in Dorchester. The MBTA says buses will operate near the route, but passengers should expect longer journeys and delays. And state lawmakers are considering legislation to try to stamp out abusive coaching in school sports. It would require state education officials to publish guidelines for how middle and high schools could implement social-emotional learning in their athletic programs. Red Sox are again at Fenway tonight to start up their second of their series, uh, second series of the season. The Pittsburgh Pirates are in town for a three-game set. Cutter Crawford throws the first pitch at 7-10. By the way, the Sox bats are smoking. They notched at least nine runs in each of their first three games of the season, the first time that's happened in franchise history. 51 degrees now in the Boston area, mainly clear skies for a couple more hours then. Look for clouds moving in overnight tonight. Not too chilly, about 44 for a low. Tomorrow, even milder than today has been, up around 58 degrees. This is WBUR. It's 6.06. WBUR supporters include ECMC Foundation, working to improve post-secondary educational outcomes for underserved students through evidence-based innovation. Learn more at ecmcfoundation.org. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Threats to democracy make an informed public critical to America's future. WBUR will always be free thanks to listeners who give voluntarily. Give monthly to give real journalism a strong future. Here's how. By calling right now this number 1-800-909-9287. If you prefer to pledge online, go to WBUR.org. WBUR is not free, but we don't have a paywall. We would love you to be able to access our, our whatever we do on air, online, in whatever way you can without having to pay for it. But we are asking you to make voluntary contributions to this station because one of the reasons I think many of you listen is because we don't have commercials. We don't have commercial influences. That means that we have to turn to you, our listeners. You have made us so proud in the past. We hope you will do it again right now, especially right now, because as Tiziana Deering says, there's an added incentive for you to call. There's an added incentive for 53 minutes. And that is a dollar-for-dollar match on anything you give. It's not just that we don't have a paywall. We don't want a paywall. We believe that quality information drives thriving democracy, and that means everybody has to have access to it. To do that, those who can need to fund it. And some members of our Moreau Society believe in that so fundamentally that they are saying to you, right now, we'll put extra money on the table. We'll put extra money on the table to draw what you can do to the table as well. So give now in the next 53 minutes or so, and we'll match it. 
$10 a month from you becomes $20 a month. A $100 gift from you becomes $200. A $1,000 gift from you becomes $2,000. Whatever it is, they will double it at 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. It's about meaning. It's about the lifeline that you are for us. Yeah, and the lifeline to the news that happens that, um, you know, whether it be story like the one coming up about Saudi Arabia and a few other countries announcing a surprise cut in oil production that has uh, roiled the crude markets. We'll find out what it means for you coming up, and you'll hear about it on Marketplace starting at 6.30 as well. From these stories to the story about the world's largest ice carousel, it's a really good listen. (laughs) And we hope that you understand this only comes with your contribution. So get your pledge matched right now only until 7 o'clock tonight. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Thank you so much. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the Umbrella Arts Center with Middleton Heights, the tale of a Filipino family pursuing the American dream. Now through April 23rd, theumbrellaarts.org. This is All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Adrian Florido in Culver City, California. And I'm Mary Louise Kelly in Washington. Saudi Arabia had a big surprise for the world on Sunday. Along with a few other countries, it revealed it is cutting oil production. That is pushing prices up sharply. NPR's Camila Domanowski is here to explain why this is happening and what it may mean for all of us. Hey, Camila. Hi, Mary Louise. All right. So when I say they are um, cutting prices, how are cutting production? How big? How big are the cuts? Yeah, they're they're substantial. Saudi Arabia is the biggest player here, as usual. They're cutting uh, half a million barrels per day. You've got the UAE, Iraq, a few other countries also making cuts. The sum total is more than a million barrels per day, and that's a million barrels per day less out of nowhere, basically. These are OPEC Plus members, but this was not a deal negotiated out of an OPEC Plus meeting that people saw coming. It was just sort of boom on a Sunday, you know? Hmm. And to put these numbers into context, I asked Jorge Leon of of Rystad Energy. You know, how big of a deal is this? Here's what he said. It was a massive surprise to everybody in, in the market. Um, if you think about it, this is 2% of global supply that is going to be taken off the market. And this is this is really, really significant. Really, really significant. Two reallys there. Mm-hmm. Uh, these cuts are going to kick in starting in May, last all year, but prices have already jumped. They went up five bucks overnight, which is a lot. Yeah. Um, Camila, back to that first question I laid out at the beginning. Why? Why is yeah, this happening? Sorry. <laughs> Why? Well, whenever they cut production, com- countries like this, oil prices go up, right? And oil prices went down last month because of all the banking turmoil. So this was a move that pushed them back up. Now, Saudi Arabia consistently denies that it is trying to control prices. But if you look at what happened in oil markets last month, the price is all that changed. It's not like we were using a bunch less oil or making a lot more of it. The price went down and now this cut is pushing them back up. A practical question since you bring up prices. um, When we go to fill up our cars, what might this mean for gas prices? Yeah, they're almost certainly going to go up. It's hard to predict exactly how much they'll go up. Um, Gas prices, everyone remembers, they were very high and they had come back down. So now the average is around 350. We'll, We'll see what happens. 
I'll also note it's not just the obvious impact on prices at the pump, because oil is everywhere in the global economy. It's how we move the vast majority of stuff that we move. When prices go up for oil, it drives up all kinds of prices. And I should say, this is a bit of a dangerous game for Saudi Arabia, because if prices go up too much, people will cut back on driving, on buying, on everything. In the long term, maybe people buy electric vehicles faster than they would otherwise. So it's possible for prices to get too high, even for Saudi Arabia. And, you know, they could surprise us again and reverse course. This cut came out of nowhere. It could go away as quickly. Yeah. Um, speak to the politics for a second, because U.S.-Saudi mm -hmm. relations were already tense. What might this mean for that relationship? Yeah. Uh, if you look at the recent history here, high gasoline prices are always a political concern in the U.S. That's understating it a bit. Uh, President Biden went to Saudi Arabia last summer. He was asking for more oil production, came back very publicly empty handed. Meanwhile, Saudi Arabia and China are growing closer diplomatically, economically, specifically in terms of oil. So that's all context for these cuts coming, which we have in fact heard from the White House uh, on these cuts. The administration's quote was that it did not consider these cuts to be advisable. Uh, I will note that, you know, the United States is the world's biggest consumer of oil in the world. So we feel these, we feel increases in oil prices as consumers. But there are some American companies for whom this is a big boost to the bottom line because the U.S. is also the biggest oil producer in mm -hmm. the world. And high, higher oil prices, like the kind that these cuts promote, they help oil companies' bottom line. Thank you, Camila. Thank you. And here's Camila Domanowski. If you've ever signed a ballot petition for a candidate or an issue, there's a chance you talk to someone who was hired to get your signature. Recently, though, some notable campaigns have been derailed because paid canvassers turned in thousands of invalid signatures. Now, some states are hoping to crack down on bad practices. Here's NPR's Ashley Lopez. There was this big election scandal in Michigan last year that threw the state's Republican gubernatorial primary into a bit of chaos. Now to the shakeup in the race for governor. Five Republican candidates now officially thrown off the ballot. That's half the field. All these candidates were disqualified because they submitted thousands of invalid signatures among the 15,000 they needed to run for office. A state board later said the problem was the people hired to collect the signatures. Election staffers say names were spelled wrong the information for dead voters was used. They also say obvious handwriting characteristics were repeated throughout some sheets. Officials found evidence of roundtabling. This is when individual canvassers pass around a sheet and each person signs a line so it looks like a bunch of different voters signed them. And this didn't just affect candidates. Jamie Rowe, a Republican strategist, tried to get a measure on the Michigan ballot to tighten voting rules. I think it's wise to put in place systems and rules that mitigate the ability to commit fraud. Ironically, his proposal was unable to get before voters because of fraud. He suspected issues with the signatures collected by paid canvassers. Particularly after stuff went down with the uh, candidates for governor, I mean, we redoubled our efforts to verify. And we found somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 or 60,000 signatures that we believed were invalid. Rose says it was frustrating his measure didn't get on the ballot, especially because it was so expensive to get those signatures. He says in the past, a signature from a paid collector would cost him a few bucks, but that's changed. And he says it's encouraging fraud. The thing is, when it's two or three dollars, 
per se insurer, you're probably unlikely to engage in that kind of activity. When it's $15 a signature, there is a high financial motivation to commit fraud. People who have been in this industry say the spike in costs has been staggering. Ted Blasak has a company that's helped put a measure on the ballot in 18 different states. Blasak says these days it's not uncommon for a single signature to cost up to $20 or $30. And that's a direct reflection of much higher costs being paid to the individual canvasser as their labor is more in demand. Blasek says these are always hard jobs to fill, but it's been particularly hard to fill them since the pandemic and low unemployment in recent years. This is why he paid about $50 an hour to workers in his last campaign. It's often discouraging work. So people need to be well compensated to do challenging work in today's economy. He says this decision to pay workers per hour instead of per signature is also key to preventing fraud. That's a point that's largely echoed by Tammy Patrick with the Election Center, which is the National Association of Election Officials. When individuals are compensated by signature, that incentivizes getting signatures to the degree that the voter maybe um, doesn't understand what they're signing or they're misrepresenting what's being signed or they're encouraging people to sign even if they're not eligible. Election officials say it takes a lot of time and resources to verify ballot signatures. That's why states like Colorado and California now want to create new regulations for paid canvassers. The vast majority of signature collectors and petition companies do a good job. Um, But there are some bad actors. That's Colorado's elections chief, Secretary of State Jenna Griswold. She says the state's laws around this practice could be tightened. She wants to start by making it easier to crack down on those bad actors. Right now, you can only hold a petition entity liable if they either authorized or knowingly permitted the violation in question. We're changing that standard to just negligence. Griswold says she wants stiffer penalties for workers who submit fraudulent signatures, as well as the company they work for. But Tammy Patrick of the Election Center says there has to be a balance. She says states should be careful they aren't making it harder for community-led efforts to get on the ballot. I do think that the initiative process is an important one, and we need to make sure that it continues to be conducted in a way that reflects the will of the community and is done with both integrity and transparency. Patrick says ultimately the best way to ensure there is integrity in signature gathering is to have the bulk of the work done by volunteers who believe in the cause. Ashley Lopez, NPR News. This is 90.9 WBUR. Coming up on All Things Considered, the FDA has approved an over-the-counter nasal spray used to combat opioid overdoses. The real-world effects of the move just ahead. Former President Trump is expected to be arraigned tomorrow in Manhattan. You can hear live coverage of the arraignment tomorrow starting at 2 o'clock here at 90.9 WBUR and on the WBUR app. It was a mixed finish on Wall Street today. The Dow picked up about 1 percent. S&P rose nearly four-tenths of a percent and the Nasdaq lost ground. It fell nearly a quarter of a percent. Details coming up on Marketplace in just about 10 minutes. 
Sunset is at 7.12 tonight. That might be it for the sun for a while. Overcast skies tonight falling to the mid-40s. Could have a few showers tomorrow on the early side and then a lot of clouds around gray through the day. But milder should be up in the high 50s tomorrow. For Wednesday, cloudy, windy and cooler sticking to the mid-40s. 51 degrees now in Boston at 619. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Waterstone, a new luxury independent and assisted living community with social and wellness programs and fine dining on Watertown Street in Lexington. WaterstoneLexington.com. We have about two minutes right now to accomplish something great, and that great thing is to convince you, if you still need convincing, to pledge your support to WBUR before we go back to the news. A great reason is for everything that you hear on WBUR, including the story, the very important story that is coming up. And also, you have a chance to get a sweatshirt at a discount amount until 7 o'clock and a chance to have your pledge right now matched. Yes, you do, Lisa. For the next 40 minutes, give a gift of $10 a month or more. You'll get a dollar-for-dollar match and a WBUR sweatshirt. It's a twofer of Epic proportions at 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. But let me separate those out. So listen, $10 a month for a year gets you the sweatshirt. After 7 o'clock, that goes up to $20 a month. Plus, until 7 p.m., 40, 39 minutes from now, some members of our Murrow Society have put on the table a dollar-for-dollar match for any gift you give. Whether it's a small monthly contribution, it'll be dubbed, doubled. A big one-time contribution, doubled. one 800 909 or WBUR.org. And you can get for your contribution of $10 a month, by the way, it goes up to $20 a month after 7 o'clock, for $10 a month, this gorgeous WBUR sweatshirt, and it we mean gorgeous. WBUR gorgeous <laughs> sweatshirt because it says WBUR on the front, emblazoned on the front, not one, not two, not three, but four times just in case anybody didn't understand which radio station you support. So it's a great, warm, and wonderful way to uh, to boast your support for WBUR. But first, you have to support us. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Get your plat- pledge match dollar for dollar right now. The match is huge because you are our lef- lifeline. Listeners make up the greatest source of our support. And new members are increasingly hard to bring on, and they're our lifeblood. Our Murrow Society members know that and that's why they're putting some of their money on the table to say match it with yours it doubles the impact of your gift and it means the world to us 1-800-909-9287 or wbur.org we are so grateful to those who have called those who have pledged online if you haven't do it right now um, especially if you've never done it but really we'd love to hear from everyone 1-800-909-9287 wbur.org WBUR supporters include UMass Chan Medical School, proud to be named one of Boston Globe's top places to work. Learn more at umassmed.edu globe. From NPR News, this is All Things Considered. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. And I'm Elsa Chang. Mike Selleck has a lot of experience administering the life-saving medication naloxone. His work involves helping people who are experiencing drug addiction, including addiction to opioids. And the most recent time he had to reverse an overdose was in his own neighborhood. Selleck was walking his dog when he saw someone lying in the grass across from his driveway. They were breathing very poorly and shallowly. I think a lot of people had already seen it, but just assumed the person was asleep or drunk or something. Uh, So if I hadn't had a lot of experience recognizing overdoses and reversing them, 
over the years, I probably wouldn't have thought anything of it. Selleck dialed 911 as he ran into his house, just like he has every time he has reversed an overdose. Once inside his home, he grabbed Narcan. That's a nasal spray form of naloxone, which is used to rapidly reverse an opioid overdose. I sprayed one into one of his nostrils and watched his breathing. Uh, luckily, this person was breathing poorly, but on their own, so I didn't actually have to do rescue breathing. Selleck has been doing community outreach since 2010 to people who use drugs. Now he works for the National Harm Reduction Coalition. And he says overdose happens because opioids affect the part of your brain that controls breathing. People end up suffocating and dying from the lack of oxygen. You wait about two to three minutes before administering the second dose. So he was still out. I administered the second dose. The person woke up pretty much immediately. They were up a little confused and talking. And that was the moment when emergency responders arrived. They were able to talk to the person Selleck treated and took them to the hospital in an ambulance. I've called 911 before and had it take 45 minutes for rescue workers to show up. If you're not breathing for 45 minutes, you're dead. Which is why, he says, it's so important to get Narcan in the hands of bystanders. People like friends, siblings, parents, co-workers, roommates, anyone who is around people who use drugs. The CDC estimates that nearly half of overdose deaths in 2021 had potential bystanders, people who could have prevented a death if there was Narcan on hand. All of the evidence has shown that the people who respond first are not uniform first responders. They're people in the community. Now, first responders have had access to naloxone for decades. And in 2015, the FDA approved its use more widely in the form of Narcan as a prescription drug. And then... Just last week, the FDA approved Narcan for over-the-counter sales, something that advocates have been pushing for for years. That will make the drug more widely available than it ever has been before, which Selleck says is a great thing. Harm reduction is all about keeping people alive. If somebody overdoses and nobody responds, there's no chance for a tomorrow. There's no chance for better outcomes. And people have lost a loved one. We want people to survive. To hear more about the significance of the FDA's decision to make Narcan available for over-the-counter sales, we reached out to Nabarun Dasgupta. He's a senior scientist at the University of North Carolina and has been studying opioid overdose prevention and addiction treatment since 2002. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So... Narcan, the nasal spray form, it's really simple to use, right? Like almost anyone can learn very quickly how to administer it. Am I correct? Absolutely. It's a motion that most people have already done. You put something in your nose, you press the plunger, and it fires out the naloxone into your nose. There's really not very many ways to screw it up. Okay. That's very reassuring to hear. Well, with this latest development, we're hearing that the price of the nasal spray to the average consumer could land anywhere between, what, like $35 and $65. What do you think of that price? Like, do you think it might deter people from going out and buying it because it's still kind of expensive? What we know works in public health mm -hmm. is if the price of the antidote is cheaper than the price of the dope. Right. If we're talking about $10 for a dose of fentanyl or heroin, then the price of the antidote needs to at least be on par with that and ideally much less. Right. So we have a long way to go. OK, that makes sense. But what if the price of over-the-counter Narcan never drops to $10? 
I think we really have to look at this as a broader naloxone market where having the first over-the-counter product is going to hopefully entice other pharmaceutical companies to come to the table with cheaper devices, cheaper nasal sprayers, cheaper nasal swabs, maybe something that dissolves inside the cheek. There's a lot of ways to deliver naloxone into the body that are going to be cheaper than this first product. Mm -hmm. So we should stay tuned. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then when it comes to actually physically procuring it, do you get the sense that Narcan will be something that I could just grab off the shelf at the pharmacy? Or would I have to go up to someone and have a whole conversation with a pharmacy employee to get me the nasal spray and then maybe worry about being judged for re requesting it? What do you think? That's a very real risk that the stigma that already exists within the healthcare system against people who use drugs is going to get perpetuated in the way that Narcan is available. It wouldn't surprise me to see it locked up behind the counter because of its price. It's also a fairly large box. And so pharmacy space is at a premium. And I would be surprised if pharmacies were able to have inventory of large amounts of this antidote. Mm. There's this amazing vision of having the nasal spray available at every gas station in the country, right? It sounds like such a good idea. Yeah. But if you go into a gas station, you don't see any other products that are in the 40 to $50 range. Right. So... I'm skeptical that that's going to be where it goes. What I do think is going to happen is that vape shops and head shops are surprisingly ubiquitous in our country, and they do sell products in that price range. They also attract a clientele who may be at higher risk for overdose. So I think that is an unusual partner for public health in many ways, mm -hmm. but the kind of innovation that can happen when something is over the counter and we can see all the new places that we can put this product to get it in the hands of people who really need it. Well, what about the effect of all of this on the supply of free naloxone? I mean, what I'm talking about is, you know, right now a lot of community groups are able to provide this drug for free. And if a lot of the supply of this drug is now getting routed to pharmacies, do you think the supply of free naloxone will diminish? This is a real concern. Over the last decade and a half, we've had four national shortages of naloxone. Anytime you have a monopoly on a pharmaceutical product, it's a recipe for disaster. So to prevent that, what we have done in the last year is to shore up the supply chain for the free and low-cost generic liquid injectable naloxone, the formulation that a lot of our harm reduction programs are relying on. Okay. Well, I know that we've gone through several reservations about expanding availability of Narcan to pharmacies to be bought by just average consumers. Do you expect, despite these reservations, that making naloxone way more widely available as this over-the-counter nasal spray is going to make a big difference ultimately in lives saved? That's our hope, right? I mean, we're at a sad point in our country's history where we need the antidote to be available this widely. A lot of our prevention, a lot of our policy that should have prevented this kind of overdose death volume hasn't worked. It's time for new solutions. We need new ideas, and we need to make these tools available. That is Nabarun Desgupta, a senior scientist at the University of North Carolina. Thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure. Take care.
This is NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Uncommon Feasts Catering. Full-service culinary events for your social or corporate gatherings. Boston, the North Shore, and Midcoast, Maine. Gather around. Let's feast.